You're listening to The Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric Schweitzer from the Gamer.com editing team, and today we're talking about Dragon Age Week, Boyfriend Dungeon, Avengers War for Wakanda expansion, our picks for the game of the year so far, and the newest Pokemon Presents. Let's go! Welcome to the show. I'm here today with Keenmar and Stacey Enley. Hello to you both. Hello. How's it going? Let's talk about uh, Dragon Age Week. Um, we have a sort of a special event over at The Gamer um, that you both have been leading. Keen, tell us a little bit about what we're doing this week for Dragon Age. It's a similar thing to what we did for Mass Effect back in February, which is just to celebrate the series by publishing lots of different interviews about details that people might not necessarily know um as well as like you know a lot of like thoughtful crit um i think earlier was it yesterday that stacy's kirkwall one went up and then today the isabella one stuff like that um we've got more planned obviously for tomorrow and friday they're kind of heavier days for on the criticism front but yeah i mean the the whole idea was just for dragon age fans to have a lot of reading material that covers ground that probably hasn't been covered before so uh what kind of interviews have gone up already well we've had so well we did the one on how dragon age originally didn't have any dragons which is a bit wild to think about in hindsight um stacy's done quite a few interviews with some of the voice actors behind people like josephine hawk they've been brilliant we've got more coming later this week as well i'd say we've got maybe three or four more interviews to go live and then the rest of it will be criticism but by the time people are listening to this podcast pretty much everything will be up how how did dragon age not originally have dragons in it (laughs) it was bioware's idea was to create a spiritual successor to Baldur's gate that was a new ip so Early on in development, they decided that they didn't really want to pursue high fantasy. They wanted to pursue dark fantasy. And it was called Chronicles at the time. There was a lot of writing done for it, but over a year into the project, all they had to show was a video, an in-engine video. It wasn't even gameplay. Hmm. It was CG. And a new creative director came in. A lot of sort of, there was a, the lead designer was called James Olin. There was a lot of kind of, internal shuffling going around eventually they were like listen like you know we need to give this thing a proper name we need a concrete vision they had a lot of excellent supplementary writing already there but essentially they combined loads of different like fantasy terms they wanted something that was two words eventually what they settled on was age of dragons but bear in mind this is back in 2002 2003 Mm -hmm. origins had a six or seven year development cycle And they were worried that it was going to sound too much like Age of Empires. So they reversed it to just Dragon Age. And then David Gator, the lead writer, was like, well, I suppose we better add some dragons. (laughs) Um, Stacey, what's your favorite interview that you've done so far? Um, I've uh, entirely done, like, voice actors. And I think my favorite was uh, Allegra Clark, who voices Josephine. Uh, She also has a minor role in Mass Effect Andromeda, which she spoke about. Um, and the most interesting thing about her is she was a massive Dragon Age fan. Obviously, Inquis- Josephine's in Inquisition, which is the third one. 
So she had played Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2 extensively. Like she was she was in a live journal community that was obsessed with all the memes in the Dragon Age mm. community. So it was really nice to talk to her because you could tell it was a lot more than just a gig for her. Like she yeah. got to be part of one of her one of her favorite stories ever. And I think that's you could tell that it was a really special thing for her. Um those interviews where you don't need to ask questions, they just go off and talk about things. Like I didn't bring up Mass Effect and she started complaining about how Jacob volunteers to go into the into the vents and the suicide mission. Um, she was just really great to talk to about Bioware and Dragon Age because it felt like talking to a fan. It felt like just yeah. chatting to a fan of the game, but then also being able to get her insight about, about being in the game. So that, I think, was the most special. There was no big revelation, like there's no dragons in Dragon Age. Hmm. Um, but, you know, Dragon Age as a, as a series has always been about the characters and, and the heart and the way people connect to them. So to be able to speak to an actor who connected to the material in the way the fans do, having been a fan herself, I think that was a really um, that was a really special thing to be able to include in the week when a lot of big Dragon Age fans are going to be going to be reading, and maybe those fans reading will be in Dragon Age Six in twenty four years. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so cool to talk to a voice actor and find out that they're big fans of the game that they're Absolutely. in. Absolutely, I don't I don't think you get that so much with film. Like you never, you never hear about an actor in a movie who's just like obsessed with whatever the series is. But you get that a lot from voice actors, and it always makes for really fun conversations. Um, yeah, so I that's think cool. Really special for that. Keen, but besides, there were no dragons in Dragon Age. Has <laughs> there? Is there anything that you've learned that was like uh, really surprising? Well, Dragon Age Origins was originally supposed to be a multiplayer game, right? So you played your origin story. At the end of it, you were drafted into online co-op with like three other people who had just completed their origin stories too. And the rest of the game would be co-op, like party-based co-op, but instead of you having your companions, it was other players. Um, it was quite a while in development that that was cut, definitely over a year. And it was essentially because, it wasn't even because they didn't think it was working, it was because it was just taking up too much time. They had people working a lot of the people were working on the engine and the engine wasn't robust enough to facilitate the online they had in mind so a new creative director came in said we're slashing online they also slashed console ports at that point and just put everyone on pc they hired external contractors to do the console ports because they were like this is the baldur's gate neverwinter knights team we need them to focus on pc because that's what they know on top of that, there were some origin stories cut. Um, I can probably talk about things because, as I said, this episode will be live after everything's already up. We do have a big oral history going up. It will be up by the time that this podcast is live, obviously, mm -hmm. which has interviews with nine different developers from Dragon Age Origins about how the first game was made. And aside from there being no dragons and it being multiplayer and origin stories getting cut, it just seems like such a, it was pretty chaotic, the development of it, but I think that's probably why it ended up working so well. Hmm. It was, it's that sort of bridge between old Bioware and new Bioware, which I think are two pretty distinct entities. And I also think someone I spoke to about this, a lot of people pinned that on the EA acquisition, but 
there's a lot more to it than that. Even Bioware internally, like, you know, they were in Edmonton, then they have Bioware Austin, then they have Bioware Montreal. And when they opened these new studios, they needed to send veteran developers over to make sure that there was still Bioware blood there, that like, you know, they were instructing all the new devs, here's the Bioware way, because there was a very, very definitive way of doing things. What happened then though, is Edmonton was all up on its own in Northern Canada. When people moved to Montreal and people moved to Austin, there were other studios there and people started to leave Bioware, which started to obviously pin the original DNA. And that's probably what separates them because Origins in particular is just such a weird artifact because you've got that sort of Baldur's Gate sprawl, but you've also got the sort of mainstream approachability of stuff like Mass Effect. And it feels like a very, very, very dense and ambitious RPG that is not too difficult for someone coming from a more casual background to approach. So most of what I learned about Origins is just how that specific game is probably the strangest Bioware game ever made because of its position between those two states. Right. So interesting too to think about how it could have been an online game, especially after Anthem. It's it's interesting because the so they had prototyped online. It wasn't as if it was just in concepting, like you know, there was actually work done to try to accommodate mm. that. And the managing editor of Bioware at the time was the one to prototype that, and he later used that for Star Wars: The Old Republic. That was the blueprint oh, wow. for Star Wars: The Old Republic which in turn was the blueprint for Anthem. So you can actually trace Anthem right back to that original prototype for Origins. Yeah, that's that's fascinating and, and like not surprising once you hear it. Um, and and it makes me wonder what will what kind of online we'll get for the next Dragon Age or if maybe Bioware like learned their lesson with Anthem to some extent. So there's there's no online for Dragon Age Four. If they were supposed okay. to be, and then around the time when Anthem was shut down, servers were shut down, and they did something with Anthem that said we're not redoing Anthem anymore. Mm. It also came out that Dragon Age Four would be single player only. So I, I think you're right. Um, that was a bit of a theme, but they seem to have learned their lesson with that, and we're going back to. A, I suppose Dragon Age Two is the only one that's not had anything online to it because Dragon Age Three had Dragon Age Inquisition had the online multiplayer part of it. Origins began as an online thing. So there's only really right. two that has been made purely from the ground up as a single player game before it's going back to that. And uh Stacy, you're a vehement Dragon Age two defender, is that right? I am. <laughs> Best one in the series. <laughs> Stacey, what do you have coming up this week that you're excited about? Um well I wrote um Tuesday about Kirkwall, which is the setting of Dragon Age 2, because that is, mm -hmm. for me, the most special part of the, the game. It's not a big, sprawling RPG, which is kind of necessity. Um, you know, it was it had a much shorter development time. It was a bit rushed. That's why they reuse assets. But that city is, is really special. So we'll be able to write about Dragon Age 2 and kind of write about it quite freely, because it, it is the least popular, I think, in the, in the series, because it's not a traditional RPG in the way that Origins is. It doesn't have the big open world the way that Inquisition does. Um, obviously, as Keen says, by the time the podcast comes out, everything will be written. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing a big defense of Dragon Age 2 and why it's amazing. So Great. that's that's going to be exciting to write. Um, 
uh, Robert Isabella today, another Dragon Age 2 thing. All Basically, all of the, the crit that I'm doing that isn't in the views for this week, it's all just Dragon Age 2. I'm just pretending the other two games don't exist. <laughs> I love Inquisition, and I, I like Origins. It's it's fine, but I am just using this week as an excuse to, to write about Dragon Age 2 constantly. Wow. Lucky you. <laughs> lucky readers. Yeah, lucky readers. I... I love these theme weeks that we've done on the site. I love the Mass Effect one, and this one has been just as exciting. Even though I'm not familiar with any of those games. I've played Mass Effect now, um, but uh, as someone who's not uh, a f- like a big fan of either series, uh, just seeing all of this stuff come come out on the site in one week has got me really engaged with it. I'm like, now I want to play Dragon Age. It's really cool that you guys are doing that. I'm looking forward to whatever the next one is. What do you think we should do next? <laughs> I have tried to... Uh, I'm not going to mention any games because I've okay. tried to set up several already. And it's not that they haven't gone well. It's I've got quite a bit for some of them, but I, I, I learned my lesson. I, I'm being deliberately ambiguous here. I learned my lesson there a little while ago because I wanted to do a Witcher one and I was trying to like you know do loads of interviews. I had like four or five done. I was like, oh, I'm going to let these, like, you know, sit there for a while and then I'll build up to it. And then once we have, like, maybe eight or nine interviews, we'll do a week. And what happened was I had learned that Geralt wasn't in the first Witcher game. And then CD Projekt Red came out at WitcherCon and were like, hey, everyone, Geralt wasn't in the first Witcher game. I was like, I learned that last month, but I didn't tell anyone. What the <laughs> fuck? Like, you know, we we could have been the ones to break that story. But, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, there are quite a few games. I think... The most fun ones to do this with are probably RPGs, like big open world RPGs, because there's just so much that goes into making them. Right. I I think we should be open to do it. Like, it would be cool to do, like, maybe a week for shooters as opposed to one particular shooter or, you know, like, you could do it by genre either. But when it comes to one game or series, I do think RPGs have the most meat to them. The really special thing about Dragon Age Week is that it was quite organic, so yeah. I actually joined the site the day after Mass Effect Week ended. Um, so I remember <laughs> reading the site loads, and Mass Effect is actually my favorite game more even than, than Dragon Age, and seeing all this really cool stuff coming out. And obviously, I wasn't a part of it, because like I said, I started working for the site literally the day after. Um, so that was always my ambition from the day I joined. Like, let's do another week. Let's do something. Let's do something. And Dragon Age just kind of came out because I had spoke to a few voice actors a while ago for a different project on Bioware, and I still had connections with them and I thought I'd be able to speak to them again for a specific thing. Keen had got some good interviews and um, we had a few other editors on the site who liked Dragon Age. So, I don't know, I think what I really like about these themed weeks is we're not forcing them, we're not going to, um, you know, publish as and they're saying, do we get our game? It's something that's coming up quite naturally and organically, which I think is why we get the, um, the really interesting stories that, I mean, there's nothing on Dragon Age 4 we could have very easily like asked DA to do a deal with us and, and they do some Dragon Age 4 reveals and a, collabor- a collaboration and a partnership, but it's not. It's just real stories from real people about games that have been out for a decade already. Um, so I think that's something that I've really enjoyed about the week, that it is genuinely celebrating a game and not hyping up a new release, which can get a little bit dispiriting when you do that over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point because it it doesn't feel like a big marketing campaign for Dragon Age at all. Um, 
you guys just went out and found the people and they wanted to talk about this stuff. I think, I think that's really cool. Absolutely. I think it says a lot as well. Like some of these people started working on this series in like 2002 and we were speaking to them 19 years later and mm-hmm. they're still so passionate about it. They remember everything. And I don't think that's the case with all developers or all artists in general. Like if something happens two decades ago, I'm sure that people will be able to recall quite a bit of it, but and I think it's been the same for Stacy. Like anyone I've spoken to has just been so passionate and it's all there. And it's just so interesting and just cool to see, you know, how fondly they remember this series. Yeah. I mean, Dragon Age is so beloved, obviously, because that passion went into it. So it's not surprising at all to hear that these devs, uh, still love this game so deeply all these years later because like that passion went into the game and that's why there's so many fans of it even though there hasn't been a new game in in so long sometimes the fans are a little too much (laughs) as Keen found out this week yeah listen Anders is a fucking terrorist and I would stand (laughs) by that until the day I die I don't hate him like you know he's not he's a very well written character but I don't Mm -hmm. understand why someone who literally blows shit up people would be like oh no no he did nothing wrong i was like oh nice one yeah excellent it's the same <laughs> for solace solace did nothing wrong i really like solace he did everything wrong you have to be able to admit these things it's anyway uh, it's funny it kind of dovetail into our next conversation about boyfriend dungeon i think but i think people have to acknowledge that villains exist <laughs> cool um any last plugs for dragon age I just think if anyone has not played Dragon Age, they should go and play Dragon Age. And if they have played Dragon Age, they should go and play Dragon Age again. (laughs) Check out the link in the description for all of our Dragon Age Week coverage. And we'll be right back with Boyfriend Dungeon. Boyfriend Dungeon. Woof. Am I right? (laughs) um this is uh this has become such a big topic such a major conversation around a game that ostensibly everyone really likes um but it has become the center of controversy at least in uh, our small circles on the internet uh so i am joined here by four uh pog champs (laughs) andrea hello andrea hello and stacy's back hello and we have Stephanie Miner. Hello. And Keen returns as well. How's it going? So, as the only person here that hasn't played this game, uh, I'm naturally the best person to lead this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, why don't you start by just telling us what Boyfriend Dungeon is? Cool. So, um, Boyfriend Dungeon is basically a mashup of the visual novel dating sim genre and the uh, dungeon crawler genre so you you go around initially the first dungeon is just a mall you're underneath the mall and you have to fight off different pieces of technology because they represent some internal fear that you have and you find a sword but that sword turns out to be a person um a sexy sexy person that you want to have sexy sexy love with um and then you meet various other swords and and daggers and lightsabers and various things that are all either 
sexy, sexy people, or in one case, an actual cat, um, and you date them, and the more you date them, the more abilities you unlock for uh, for that weapon. So the, the more, basically, the more you raise that person's affection level, you unlock dates with them, you go on the dates, the dates go well, their sword does better in the dungeon, so it helps them in combat. Um, and yeah, it's up to you which weapon you, you choose. You may wish to go for the, the character that you're most drawn to, that you want to have more time with, that you want to connect with in the visual novel dating sim kind of way, or you may wish to spend all of your time on maybe some bad dates with weapons that you like using more, so you want to get them uh, leveled up quicker. It's a nice Okay, mix. so it it's sort of dating sim meets action dungeon crawler. Is that it? Yeah, basically. I think, imagine if in Hades... If instead of being on a quest to escape from hell, you wanted to um, have sex with the shield. Okay. <laughs> sure. That's that's what it is. Imagine. Um, and you liked it. I really liked it, yeah. Um, I know in a little while we're going to talk about our um, best games of 2021, and that will be a contender for my, uh, for my picks there. I really liked the game. Did everyone like it? I haven't finished it yet, but from what I've played, yeah, I think it's really good. I've played about two hours. I'm still in the mall, so I haven't actually unlocked any other dungeons yet. I think I got down to, like, level 13 or 14. I have three or four swords now. One of them's, like, level four or something. But, you know, I've, I've played for, like, two hours, I think, on Sunday night after having a few points. So it's a little bit, um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't exactly at my best which is probably why my progress was relatively slow. But I did really enjoy it. Uh, Andrea, what do you think? So I literally also just dove into it, so I actually haven't gotten into the meat of what we're talking about, but I've had it thoroughly spoiled for me. Um, so, I mean, I love it so far, um, but honestly, just because of whenever all of this started, I started watching a bunch of these moments too just to kind of like get an idea of what's going on but I mean I love it I love it so far um some of the the harder stuff that we're of course going to get into here in a moment um I actually find kind of cathartic so and Steph you finished it yeah I did yeah um so I was pretty skeptical picking up a game called Boyfriend Dungeon it's not my typical you know, thing that I gravitate towards, but um, I, I couldn't believe how fast I was drawn into it. I planned to sit down and play for like an hour, and then I ended up like playing through almost the whole game that night. So yeah, it definitely drew me in. I enjoyed it a lot. So then why is everyone so upset, Stacey? Um, so the, the premise of the game is you move to LA, and your cousin is really invested in helping you find a lover. It's, it's like his passion in life. Um, so he sets you up on various dates with people who aren't sexy, sexy swords, so you aren't really interested. Um, mm. And one of those people is is Eric, and we all know what they say about Eric's. And <laughs> he uh, He's basically just quite rude. You go on a date with him. You can have a fairly nice date because you get to choose your responses, but he doesn't turn into a sword, um, and he kind of hates people that do. He's got a bit of a, a complex about that, an inferiority complex. Um, the date doesn't go very well. And then he sends you gifts through the post. He sends you weird texts and you say, don't text me. And he says, okay, hottie. And just weird shit like that. 
Um, and he starts stalking you. You go on a date with somebody else and he's like, oh, I see you enjoyed your date at the cafe. Like, okay. That's pretty creepy, yeah. And yeah, I, eventually the stalking leads to some kind of threat made against you. I don't want to spoil it people who haven't played it. Yeah. But it can it can turn more violent um, okay. than you might expect from a game that was presented as quite a, a cutesy, you can you know make friends with a cat and you can kiss a sword and it's good old romp so basically eric stalks you and sends you these weird texts that are quite they're quite true to life you know they're the kind of texts that people do send he's trying to manipulate you into feeling sympathy for him uh the game gives you a trigger warning at the start that it does exactly this mm-hmm. um and i think people played it just basically ignored the trigger warning and then were annoyed when those things popped up. I think people wanted Eric to just be skippable. To just, I don't want to engage with Eric. I just want to kiss these swords. Thanks. Um, but you know, he's a core part of the story. And the game tells you that right at the start. So people are annoyed that he's there. Okay. So I, I've i seen a lot of this stuff. Uh, so I have some questions. First of all, how how nefarious is this Eric character? Are we talking like Purple Man? Like extreme psychological manipulation stuff or like what is the actual tone um it's it's very similar to it's the kind of harassment that normally you might see from a a co-worker where they're kind of where they'll kind of text you and they'll be like oh you're so pretty oh my god i didn't mean to send you that or you know things like that he, he says things then apologizes for calling you beautiful and then continues to do so. Like, you go on a date, and he's like, oh, that person's not good enough for you. No one is good enough for you. You're a queen. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we had a coffee, and I left early. You don't know me well enough to say these things to me. This is strange. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, he literally spies on you, follows you around town and spies on you. He leaves you weird presents on your doorstep, and it leads to physical harm, or at least a, an attempt to physically harm you. So... It's yeah. It's not like the Purple Man in that he has no um, he has no control. For the most part, you ignore him until it escalates. But it's pretty nefarious because it's very real. Okay, and and I and it's the it's that contrast then you would say from the rest of the games, like themes and presentation. Um. on one hand, I suppose so. I don't want to spoil the game, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to for this very specific thing. One of the other very nice cutesy characters is a vampire who murders people. Now, he's not a nice guy. yeah. So it's not like all the other characters are these perfect angels with no sin. And then this guy comes along and he's a horrible person. There are shades of grey to a lot of the characters. Um, but Eric is just very clearly a bad guy. Um and the game has had it thrust upon itself, the wholesome tag, and that comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of standards that it needs to live up to. And I think people are know that Eric doesn't live up to it, but you know, I don't really feel like it has to. It's, it's this invented thing that if you are indie and have gay characters and are colourful, there are certain things you're not allowed to do or to be or to talk about. Yeah. I, and that's the conversation I would want to get into, but let me just set a baseline with everyone first here. Like, S- Steph, 
how do you feel about this content and the way that it fits into the game? Does it feel out of place? Does did you feel like you were like tricked or misled by this character? Um, well, I did sort of have a similar experience to other people where I went into the game thinking it was just gonna be like a fun, cutesy kind of game and then very quickly realized, um, like, wow, this this guy's really stalking me. This is creepy. Um, but I think part of it that I've heard other people talk about, and I kind of agree in a way, is that when this kind of thing happens in real life, um, usually you, you do have the option to block people on your phone. So, like, on the one hand, I understand because Eric is completely necessary to the game. Like, it's he's an antagonist. He's very central to the story eventually down the line as you play. And so, like, blocking him and taking him out of it, that would completely topple the whole story and so that doesn't work but at the same time if someone's texting me that stuff in real life i'm gonna block their number you know like i'm gonna make it so that they can't contact me obviously eric shows up also in real life as stacy mentioned like he'll just drop in on dates that you're having and stuff and there's no preventing that but in terms of trying to capture like the realism of how this happens i think people got kind of caught up on the fact that they couldn't block a stalker like they could have in real life so i kind of understand where they're coming from but then understand you know it's a game and it's necessary for what they're trying to do with it so i'm not really sure what to say there yeah i mean i guess the question is like what responsibility does a storyteller have to a make a game like real life quote unquote or b to like protect people from this kind of like challenging content I don't, in terms of protecting people, they have the option not to play the game. So if you see a content warning at the start that says it's going to deal with emotional manipulation or stalking and stuff like that, you know, if that's going to trigger you, don't sit down and play the game and then be upset about it. So, like, I can see that aspect of it, too. Yeah, okay, so let me ask about the trigger warning, because that's, there's so many, like, moving pieces to this, I think. Um mm. First of all, the the original trigger warning said that the game had references to stalking, abuse, etc. And I th and it seems to me that the issue people had with the trigger warning is that there is a gulf between references to stalking and you are a character who is being stalked and that is yes. the core of the story. Um, I'll chime in with yeah. So updating the trigger warning, I definitely think was needed, and I appreciate that. Um, the push to, to take the content out of the game, I guess we'll get to, but disagree there. But no, I, I appreciate an updated content warning. I am someone myself who uses trigger warnings. And whenever someone decides to put that in their game, I can always appreciate that. Um, I don't think it's, you know, references and then experiencing it, I guess, because even though this is content that I find cathartic, I, I kind of don't see like I, I don't know I don't want to sound like I'm not being empathetic but the, sort of the difference in references and oh you're experiencing this I kind of feel like both of those things would upset me when I think about some of my own triggers but then that's you know just in my personal experience um so I kind of feel like we should have backed off or at least considered backing off from the original trigger warning um but it is nice to to kind of reconsider um from kit fox i yeah i think that's totally valid i think that 
it seems to me that if stalking is a trigger for you, then it shouldn't really matter if it's a reference to stalking mm-hmm. or if it's more than that. Like, it seems like it's something you ought to avoid either way. But, uh, Kim, what, what do you make of the, the, the trigger warning stuff specifically? To be completely honest, if even, even if it isn't perfect in terms of if it says that there are references as opposed to that you will be placed in that position. If that trigger warning is there, Boyfriend Dungeon is already doing a whole lot more than the majority of other art. Um, in terms of, say, for instance, I'll, I'll go through this sequentially, right? So to start, one of the big things is obviously that it was assigned this status as a wholesome game, which mm-hmm. Stacy got into earlier on. Kit Fox didn't market it that way. People latched that idea onto it themselves. So Are I'd, you sure? Are you, are you sure that's true? I never saw Kit Fox being like, this is a super wholesome game with, like, you know, where everything is absolutely perfect and there's no issues whatsoever and we're not going to get into complex yeah, themes. I, I never saw anything like that. Um, also, you know, most art, well, a lot of good art is subversive in and of itself in to the extent that, like, you look at music, there's a lot of music that sounds really upbeat and happy, but the lyrics are pretty intense, like, pumped up kicks by foster the people or you know and you know it happens in film too and books and i don't think that it having a cutesy aesthetic and it grappling with complex themes should be necessarily mutually exclusive i do as andrea said i do appreciate the fact that kit fox has said sure we will update the content morning and we're going to implement it really quickly and try to make it clearer because that is something realistic. If people had issues with the content morning, it's a pretty simple fix to, you know, make it more extensive mm. and, you know, more indicative of what the content actually is that they're intending to warn you about. Mm-hmm. But I think to lambast an indie dev like this is ridiculous. I I do not agree with it whatsoever. I, I agree with saying I felt that content warning was not quite up to par you know, you know, we would like a revised version of it, but you know, to say that it, I, I've seen some really, really hyperbolic targeting towards Kit Fox for shit that they just did not do, and you know, the entire sentiment that Eric should be removed from the game just screams entitlement, and also I think that the people who are screaming for that, I mean. You know, there are games out there that don't have content warnings that deal with some pretty shit stuff, and I've never seen them be attacked for it. Persona 5's first 10 hours are, you know, extremely intense. There's no content warning there. I've never seen anyone kick up a fuss about that. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Why why does it seem like there's such a higher burden on this developer for this game when you wouldn't expect the same thing from virtually any other game? I mean... We, when we play The Last of Us 2, we know that we're going to deal with a lot of violence, right? But there, there's a lot of hard themes in that game. I mean, there's transphobia. There's, uh, there's sexual assault stuff. Like, why is it that we don't need content warnings for other games, but this one is getting raked over the coals for it? 
I, uh, can I just try like for this? And it's hard to say, but I mean, even as a queer woman, I look at some of my peers and things like that. And I feel like we are so ready to eat our own sometimes. Um, and I feel hypersensitive about some of this content sometimes because I am used to internet chuds, you know, being terribly portraying these things and not caring and not being concerned about what hurts others and, and doing things and like for aggressive and nefarious like reasons, but these aren't, you know, random internet chuds, like making a game. These are, you know, a team of developers that includes queer people. And, and it's important to kind of back off, I think, and let people explore these things and what can be a cathartic way for some and some of that mean you know that may mean some of us can't participate because you know it's not cathartic for us and so we do have to sit it out on the issue of the last of us part two versus boyfriend engine i just think that there's a few things to it one is it's only really worth sharing it somebody who's going to listen to you you know you can you can at neil Druckmann all day you can tweet about naughty dog and different things when um, Laura Bailey, who plays Abby, got a load of abuse for playing a character, in much the way the actor who plays Eric got abuse, Neil Druckmann, who's you know the creator of The Last of Us, his response was to uh, to share the abuse and go, "I guess this is the price of me being great." Sure. Like he's never going to put a kind of one in his games. He just isn't. Doesn't matter what you say to him. Um, so there will have been. Well, I know for a fact there was. There was people saying. There should be trigger warnings in in The Last of Us. You know, there's a character who's, who's dead named. There's references to horribly abusive things going on. We see very graphic things on screen. You know, we, we see a woman, in fact, we actually control the person doing it, get bludgeoned to death in the skull with a pipe. We have to, we have to push Square to bash her in the skull. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot to it. And people were upset, but no one listened. No one didn't care. There was no response. There was... I think if Kid Fox Games hadn't updated the trigger warning, this story wouldn't have been as big. Because once they do that, they're listening. So now I can scream at them some more. Um, I think it's also a smaller game. And as as Andrea says, they, there is a section of the, the queer gaming community that I think is really not desperate to tear people down. I feel that's maybe the wrong way to say it. But who is so used to being kicked in the face that they... They set very high bars and high standards for for pieces of, of art. And Kidbox Games are clearly prepared to listen to people because they've changed the trigger warning. Um, they're a smaller company, so they're more likely to listen to pressure. The people playing Kidfox, sorry, people playing um, Boyfriend Dungeon are, there's a much bigger proportion of those people who are going to be affected by trigger warnings, who are going to care about trigger warnings who are going to be um, marginalised people who trigger warnings are, are typically made for. Um, marginalised people are more likely to be victims of sexual assault and stalking and other kind of vulnerable things. There's an option in Boyfriend Games where it's... Uh, sorry, Boyfriend Dungeons where Kid Fox Games says, oh, there's a text from a character called Mom. Do you want to receive these? Um, and let you turn them off. And that's quite a small part of the game. It's just kind of flavor text. And, you know, it's not your mom. It's this character's mom. Mm-hmm. But it's upsetting for some people to, one, they might have just lost their mom or they might have a terrible relationship with their mom and they don't want to hear from from their mom. So they look at a game that says, we'll take away this harmful content. 
and we'll warn you about some other harmful content. And, oh, you've screamed at us that this isn't very good. So we've updated this bit. And they, they, you ask for more. You want more. You want it to be perfect. You want this art to be perfect and sanitized and designed, tailored even, for you specifically. Because there's a chance they might listen to you. Naughty Dog won't. The Last of Us won't. That's not going to change. It's sure. going to be the same game that is. They're going to make The Last of Us 3. You know, Lev's going to be in it. There's probably going to be some transphobia in there, but it'll be like, oh, but it's positive because it's good representation. It doesn't really matter who we step on. Us cisgender writers writing this trans character. Mm -hmm. You know, I think because Boyfriend Dungeon has such a diverse team and because it deals with diverse themes and it's willing to listen... It has drawn out the worst of the the worst of the paranoid readers who look for any fault they can find in a, in a piece of art. It needs to be perfect. If a piece of work has flaws in it, it is rendered useless. The only those flaws remain. There's not enough. There's not enough hopeful reading in games from those people. There's not enough kind of this is good but it could be better. It's always this is bad and therefore is terrible. I think that's probably a, a fair read on the situation. I want to play devil's advocate for a, a few points um, because I have seen some, I've seen some compelling arguments about not, not, not that I think this content is harmful or that Kit Fox did something wrong by including it, but why people are reacting this mm. way. For, first of all, you, you brought up the mom text and the opt out yeah. option for it. And there's clearly a big difference. As you say, this is flavor text. It's not integral to the story. And if this is triggering for people, it's a very easy thing to remove without compromising the story. But my question is, does it not communicate to the player that this is a very safe experience if at the very start of the game we're even willing to take out references to mom because moms might be a touchy subject for people. Like when you start your game that way, I think it, it may lull people into a state, into a disarmed state that like, okay, I'm actually not going to have to deal with anything when I play this game. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Like that's a really good point. Um, if there wasn't a content warning, because I feel like they, I mean, that's the whole purpose of it, right? Is to make sure that people know that this stuff is going to be in it. Mm -hmm. And so if, if if you take that out of it, then absolutely. Like if, you know, you can choose to receive text from mom or not, but then suddenly you don't get a choice in this person stalking you and sending you these creepy messages. And yeah, that I would 100% understand that. But I mean, I think they were very intentional about putting the content warning to make sure that that wasn't the case i mean obviously it didn't quite play out that way but i think that was the point of it um i i personally think it's a it's a reasonable position to take up right if you've played this game you have decided it's too much for me or maybe you haven't even decided it's too much for me maybe you've just seen that they're willing to take out references to to mom they've said references to stalking which might just be something in passing it might just be you know um a book or a letter that you find somewhere that if you go digging in a room, you'll find someone saying, oh, it was really scary 10 years ago and I was stalked. I'm glad that's over. I think people have got a point. I think people, I personally, I personally am not that on board with, with trigger warnings and those things anyway. So I don't really want to speak on that because I would never really use them. I, you know, I'm a trans person. 
as you mentioned with The Last of Us, there's transphobia in it. I'm kind of used to a lot of art that I consume just being a little bit poisonous sometimes. You know, my favorite TV show is, is The Simpsons and the middle seasons, there's like a, a trans or a gay joke every three episodes. Uh, I'm used to art have, being um, imperfect and not made for me and sometimes even mocking me directly. Um, so I'm not necessarily a huge fan of you don't need to have this text from your mom because it's not from your mom. It's from this character's mom. You know, regardless of your relationship with your mother, other people do have mothers. Um, so I'm not necessarily a big fan of that being there in the first place, if I'm honest. But if you're going to be uh, inclusive and create that safe space and go, oh, you don't, you don't need to have this upsetting content and then say there's references to these things, I think it stands to reason that some people were a little bit surprised and upset when they were actively stalked and assaulted. But then what do you want? They've said they're updating the trigger warning. Right. Case is closed. They're going to make it clearer. It's done. It seems to me that a lot of this pushback to Boyfriend Dungeon is a consequence of the, the actual comfy genre of games. Like, Boyfriend Dungeon is not one of these games, but there is an entire genre of cozy, non-challenging games that aren't going to present you with any themes that uh, might be upsetting. Um, they're going to be pure escapism, and they're marketed that way. And I think, um, as Keen said, people looked at this game and thought it was one of those. But the fact that those games do exist, it makes me a little bit nervous about what how the expectations may or already are changing um for players you know i i'm really hesitant at the idea that there are so many people out there that don't want to be challenged by art um that that, that don't want to have to deal with any like difficult themes in their games because games are supposed to be quote unquote you know fun or easy or an escape or whatever people say games are supposed to do. Um, and this seems like a reaction to that idea. It's kind of on the note of wholesome games. Am I like the only person, I don't know, whenever I hear wholesome games, so it is something that I largely also associate with the queer community. Um, I don't necessarily just expect warm and fuzzy. Like I also expect like this this kind of idea that something's going to hit home in like a hard way sometimes and, it, and it's comforting and ugly at the same time sometimes um I'm trying to think of the one that's like oh gosh what is it called it's like a walk with somebody um it's not out yet but we saw it and I was like okay this is really sad because you're like walking with your grandmother who has had a fall and and all that other stuff and it's kind of like ugly and sad I mean not nearly of course is it, it's ugly in a different way as you know boyfriend dungeon but whenever I think of wholesome games I think of comforting but that doesn't necessarily mean not challenging because I feel like boyfriend dungeon handles a lot of these like themes in a respectful way and in, in a way that they care about as opposed to like Druckmann tweeting like whatever the hell he is tweeting you know about <laughs> that self-congratulatory bullshit that he does um, so do you get what I'm saying? Like wholesome game doesn't necessarily mean warm and cozy to me. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm on the same page. I think my concept of like the wholesome game genre is like personal experiences. Yeah. Um, and typically non-combat. And that's pretty much it. Like to me, it doesn't mean that uh, the game isn't emotional because I think a lot of wholesome games are emotional. Um, but yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you, but it, it, it seems to me that a lot of people are not. I think Jade actually says it really well in her piece about like talking about how messy like this expiration exploration goodness um, and things can be um, with sexuality and things like that. Um, and it's not without people like this, you know, um, I, I guess we can talk about escapism and stuff too, but it's not like, you know, in some, like some of this exploration, we don't run into people like this. And that's kind of the point. And, and it seems like what Kian was saying that the, the main reaction that we have, I think as critics, I won't speak for everyone, but it, it seems like the sentiment that I'm seeing mostly from the media side is like, basically don't tell artists what art to make. Like the idea that, that you would ask them to remove any character from the game that, uh, that personally offends you, um, that seems like a bridge too far. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I think it is a massive exhibition of just a lack of media literacy. Um, because yeah, I, I, I just don't understand like uh, some of the best art on the planet in history is extremely challenging and confronting. And if developers want to make a game like that, they can, they have issued a content warning. It is, it's, it's their art. Like, Boyfriend Dungeon is not the game that exists in people's heads that they want the game to be. It is the game that was made by the developers. And going back to the mom thing, the mom character is completely inconsequential to the narrative. Like, she sends you some texts and stuff, but if you turn those texts off, it does not impact the game whatsoever. Whereas the lack of the literal antagonist does affect the game. It's like... Imagine reading Lord of the Rings and you go, I don't want Sauron in this. Or, like, you know, Oliver Twist, you like, say goodbye to Fagin and Bill Sykes. Like, you can't do that. But a, a side character who offers flavor text, sure, they don't need to be there. Lord of the Rings movies cut loads of characters out, and they're still probably some of the cleanest adaptations from book to film I've ever seen. I wonder where the line is. You know, I, like, of course, we need to leave it up to the artist to decide. But if you can remove mom, like like you you say it's inconsequential, but that might be a big part of the experience for someone. Like she was that character was written for a reason. Like it is part of the story. Oh, like, for sure. If but you also, take it out, you do lose something. It's not it, it's not an inconsequential thing, right? No, yeah. I mean the character is inconsequential to the to the core narrative. I'm not saying that it's inconsequential and that it's insignificant and they never should have wrote her. Mm -hmm. What I mean is, if they are willing to do that. Clearly, they recognize that it doesn't compromise the intent of their art Yeah, to miss that one character. Yeah, I, I guess to to everyone asking to, ha, to opt out of this character, I would say you should be asking for a refund. You know, that that's like that's a reasonable thing. If you if you're feeling misled or that this wasn't the game that was sold to you, wh whether that's true or fair or whatever. I think it's way more reasonable to be asking them for a refund than for asking them to be cha to change the game for you. Yeah, I think I would agree with that, Eric. And it, it kind of seems like a. I try to keep this in mind, too, whenever I see stuff like not even just Boyfriend Dungeon, but, you know, a, 
a lot of like this type of backlash. It's a lot of hurt people hurting people um, as like cheesy and corny as that is. And I, I, I try to like kind of keep that in mind whenever I see this sort of like visceral like lashing out. Um, but at the end of the day, that's still no excuse um, especially for targeting a small dev like this, and now yeah, the, the voice, voice actor, actor thing. There's no, there, there's no uh, devil's advocate. Like, there's no angle where you go, oh, well, maybe they have no. Like, fuck that. Like, if you ever message an actor about mm-hmm. a role they played, like, go get therapy, please. I'm begging you. That's, that's unbelievable. Uh, the the one thing I will say though, it, it, I think that Kickstarters have to have content warnings. If you're gonna put a content warning in your game when it comes out, if it like if it's there before that you start the game, it's got to be on the Kickstarter too, because that's a point of sale. Like people are buying the game there. So if you're selling the game, you need to have the content warning available before you sell it. I think that's important, and I don't see a lot of people making that point. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a fair point. But also, you know, the, we don't know how the development thing worked. Perhaps they didn't have this character. Um, in it, that, yeah, that point maybe it didn't go in that way. I, I think that's that is true. And anyone who inv- invested in the Kickstarter who now feels unable to play it is definitely entitled to a refund. Um, but you know, we don't know. Maybe there wasn't originally a mom character in it. I suppose you can turn it off. Maybe Eric wasn't originally uh, a stalker. Maybe there was something else going on. Maybe it was just going to be a regular boss in a dungeon. And then they thought, well, rather than dungeon after dungeon after dungeon, let's lace it through the story in in this way so i think that's true but also it's hard to say i don't know three years before your game releases you need to warn us about all of the problematic things in it yeah uh, obviously games change a lot in development i i guess that's just an inherent problem with kickstarter projects mm. that i have <laughs> um ultimately the thing that really worries me the most about all this stuff is the impact that it's going to have on kit fox and other developers that see this like the, the idea that someone wouldn't want to take chances or tell their story or whatever because of the fear of reactions like this really bothers me. Um, that That's sort of my takeaway from all this. Yeah. So if I could jump in here really quick. Um, I just, part of what really bothers me about this is that Boyfriend Dungeon did so many great things with their game and it just seems like it's totally getting overlooked um, because of the discourse going on. And so it kind of bothers me that they're not getting at least from what I've seen, enough recognition in my mind for all of the great things they tried to do, like how inclusive they were with their content and a lot of issues within the content that they tried to tackle. Like actually consent was a big thing in there that I really liked how they handled it. And just, it would be awesome to see more articles and more people, you know, giving them props for that because that's that's the reason that boyfriend dungeon was such a great game for me all of the rest of this aside i mean they did some stuff really really well yeah i mean we're guilty of that too we talked about how the game what the game is like for 10 minutes and then talked about the drama for a half hour but i i I think this stuff's important because it's not this is not unique to boyfriend dungeon and i i don't imagine it's going to be the first time that people overreact to the content of the game because it's challenging and it yeah. seems to me that like people are struggling to separate the idea of uh, the idea of an, a bad character from a bad act. Like by including something harmful as an idea, you're mm-hmm. actually harming people. Does that make sense? Um, I think that's something that has been 
propped up by games that aren't like Boyfriend Dungeon for a long time. Um, and you know, I think I think us in the media are a little bit guilty of it. Like we we will describe the. I have said before that the uh, transphobia within Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is harmful. Now, physically, it's not right. You know, Keanu Reeves didn't come out of the screen and punch me in the face for being trans. It's not physically a harmful game. Um, and I think the problem is this. Keanu mentioned this idea of um, media literacy. And I think, I think we've taken this idea of harmful themes, by which we mean uh, themes and ideas that perpetuate negative stereotypes that can lead to harmful behavior, that can lead to um, stereotypes and, and opinions and ignorant ideas forming in people's mind. We have taken that idea of harmful and some people have internalized it and personalized it to mean this game, this game harmed me. You know, by including a character that that stalks you, this game hurt me personally. It was an attack, mm. um, and I think that's the issue with this lack of media literacy that we have in games, and the the need to make one to make every piece of art personal to you. Two, the fact that we have far too much paranoid reading in our culture, where people look for. Um, I don't want to say cancel culture gone mad because I hate stuff like that. And then people always say, oh, R. Kelly. And like, no, Peter Fell, that's not cancelled. <laughs> um, but, you know, this idea of being, <laughs> if you have done something wrong or if you have sinned in somewhere, if you have, if there's a blotch in your copy book, you produce nothing of value to the world. None of your art is worth listening to. None of your opinions are worth listening to. You know, because in the 80s, you said a gay joke. Do you know what I mean? I think we have a lot of that culture that is spilling over into into games. And I think people are growing up wanting to be very inclusive and wanting to be the best person they can. And it's great that the youngest generation is far less homophobic and transphobic and racist than probably any other generation in history. But the problem is that that gets weaponized a lot. And if anyone doesn't meet their imagined standards, they have failed yeah. And I think even though Boyfriend Dungeons is being called out for being homophobic or transphobic or racist, it is being called out for being harmful. And that's being turned into it personally harmed me instead of this content is a, is a bit iffy and you should be clearer over who should avoid it, which is a non-issue. They're changing the trigger warning. They're updating it. That It's yeah. done. It's finished. Yeah. I think Stacey raised a good point and it's pretty much what I'm trying to say too. Like, I think we're conflating what Boyfriend Dungeon does with games like Cyberpunk that do have portrayals of people that perpetuate negative stereotypes. And the way that you portray these things and the way that you tell these stories is very important. And who is telling these stories is very important too. Like, um, you know, we're talking about it spilling over into other media and there's a small portion of the Final Fantasy XIV community that is now really angry about the Shadowbringers villain because he wants to commit genocide. And so, like, there's this whole thing about wanting him, like, getting all mad that people like his story arc and things like that. And, and it kind of just reminds me of that. Like, we can't tell these really ugly stories that are really hard to tell because we conflate harmful stereotypes with telling these very real and like very personal stories yeah i i i think it's a tricky thing 
to understand if it's not intuitive to you because there's mm-hmm. there's art about harmful things and then there's imperfect art and then there's actual irresponsible art and cyberpunk is an example of that i think at, at some points but i you have to be able to tell the difference between these things and i don't know how to help people do that right with, with stuff like what andrea brought up there like you know is i haven't played shadowbringers is that emmett selch yes i don't understand what the alternative is like you know if people are getting annoyed because a bad guy wants to kill people like how sanitized do they want art to become where you can't even have a bad guy i, I don't understand like i i understand that people yeah. really like the character and they're like oh i wish he didn't do that maybe they want a redemption arc or like you know maybe they just don't want him to you know be literally genocidal but stuff like that just doesn't really make sense to me i i would wonder what people like that's exposure to art so far has been um because i don't know i mean most of the best things i've ever read or watched or played have been complex in some way or at least have an antagonist i mean you can't have everything all the time just be completely sanitized and pure and cozy and warm and unchallenging I don't really understand that at all. I think a lot of people miss the complexities is the issue. Like I saw a guy on Twitter the other day complain that the sequel to District 9 was going to be political. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain to somebody right. that District 9 might have been a tad political. I, I, you know, I want to be dismissive and say it's people that didn't pay attention in English class. But... <laughs> That there really is a problem with the the way that people read art, <laughs> and I don't know what to do for them besides like ignore them. <laughs> it sucks, but yeah, I guess on the flip side of it, like we're talking about, I mean, there's that we care about this side obviously for obvious reasons, but there are these awful people that are like y'all made Final Fantasy VII political. And <laughs> I don't know, man, if you weren't paying attention like all those years ago, yeah. I'm not sure what to and, tell you like, and. I have to wonder how much we in the media are responsible for this because when we point out harmful, actual, problematic art and say, you know, cy- this is what cyberpunk does wrong and why it contributes to XYZ, how often are people reading, like, oh, cyberpunk is harmful because it has bad people, like, because there's bad guys and villains that do bad things? You know, like when when we point out harmful things, I guess what I'm saying is I'm concerned that people aren't understanding what we're saying is harmful. Maybe they're just reading the headline. Unfortunately, there's literally nothing we can do about that, because once we write and publish the piece, it's out of our control. Um, I mean, if we're responsible enough to write a thoughtful piece, then the hope would be that it would be interpreted in a thoughtful way. But that's never going to happen across the board with anything. So... I don't know. I don't want to say that we should absolve ourselves of responsibility in this case, but I do think that it is important to illustrate harmful issues and to celebrate, you know, themes that are are handled with finesse that actually successfully manage to capture what they set out to. And I think as long as we do that, I mean, what more can we do? Uh, All right. Thank you all. For your perspective, I'm going to jump over to talk to George about Avengers.
hey, I have all these um, intro and music options built into our recording software. Do it. Yeah. What is that? Jazzy. It's time to talk Avengers, baby. <laughs> the greatest lead up anyone has ever had to Avengers. Avengers is a video game made by <laughs> Crystal Dynamics for the PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Uh, I, I played War for Wakanda, the new free expansion for Marvel's Avengers. I played through the whole thing yesterday. Did you play it? Uh, I haven't yet, but I plan to. Uh, this is more. This is more. Eric, you got to convince me. You got to get Great. me back on the Avengers train. Maybe. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so you're leading this thing then, because uh, I I played it and I loved it. It was a blast. And as soon as it ended, it was back to the same shitty endgame grind that Avengers yeah. has always had. It's better, but. It's gotten better over the year. There's nothing that War for Wakanda really does. There's a little more variety in those like drop missions. There's like a horde mode now. Mm. And there's going to be some things added like in a few days. And obviously like they add stuff over time. That's how live service works. But as far as War for Wakanda and what its what its exact content is, you've got the new wakanda zone mm. you've got black panther you've got a campaign with with like a couple boss fights and then like black panther's like cosmetics and stuff and then one new mission type which is like the hordes so i'm gonna start off uh how is black panther both as a character and gameplay wise because that's the, that's the draw right like you everyone wants to be black panther. yeah yeah so black panther is incredible like be best character in the game um Oof absolutely nails black panther's power set um every character has their intrinsic ability meter that's how you like modify your abilities and buff yourself and black panthers is all about that kinetic absorption that's cool and then and then the release so you build your intrinsic by um absorbing damage and then you can unleash that energy in all kinds of different ways to modify your attacks. And it is so much fun. You can build your meter up to max and then do like a big blast that knocks everyone away and gives you a buff. Mm. Or you can use it incrementally to add flourishes and new, uh, to like extend combos, to like increase damage. There's like all kinds of different ways to take that stored kinetic energy and put it into different attacks. And that's like, Ah, chef's that's, kiss that's cool yeah peak black panther it's like they they totally nailed that and i i knew that they would you know because like that's what that's what avengers is getting right like that's why people are still playing it is because the characters are really fun to play and they yeah. really feel like those characters you know who would you so pre pre wolf Wakanda, who would you main Captain America. Yes, yeah, same. Ah, the, yeah. It's something about the throw. Something about the throw and the fact that it just bounces off stuff. Just endlessly satisfying. That is what, yeah. for me, changed Avengers from, this is okay, I'm not really vibing with this, to, no, I'm enjoying this. This is good. Um, it's why I have so much hope for the game still, you know? Yeah. Like, because the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is so good. It's just the incentive to do it is just not there. 
how about character? Like, do they do Black Panther well there? Yeah. So it's Chris Judge, um, Kratos. Mm. Uh, you would never guess that it's him. Total chameleon. But it's it's you know how people were complaining when they revealed the Avengers that they were just like the knockoff MCU. Yeah, you know, they all look like the budget version of like. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> well, I think that they it it feels like they took that to heart because while like Wakanda and the care like you still have Okoya and you still have Shuri and it's this it is the MCU plus like mm. there's more comic book stuff in this it 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 will be recognizable to MCU fans but Black Panther and and his world and his character really feel like original an original version for this game mm. um he's yeah he's just he's got a, a different attitude a different personality the the writing is the same that it's been it's it's a little bit campy at times it's definitely more pulpy comic booky than mcu movies are but i i do i think it works for the game and you know the 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 villains in the story is uh crossbones and claw who we also know from the mcu but they feel like their own characters here it doesn't feel like the mcu ripoff thing that people were kind of saying at first i mean that's good um it, it works yeah uh so i read a very interesting article uh, and this is actually what kind of made me pay a bit more attention to war for Conda, and that is about black panther's drip so <laughs> tell me a bit more about that <laughs> dude it is sick do you like the skins yeah uh from what you showed me because you're you're the only person i've seen like highlight it that like samurai looking one oh dude. Uh, the dude, one well, the Lynx africa one the helen was talking about like they're all really really good okay black panther has so many damn looks in this game it's incredible and it's his wardrobe is so good that it's hard to believe that it's like the same game or the same team right because i think like the rest of the skins i know that they've gotten more interesting over time to some extent but boy like i mean you play captain america too right do you like i don't like his skins like at all no there's like, there's like one or two good ones and they're just like the mcu ones it's basically like you've got classic cap or you've got modern cap and yeah. then just a bunch of different colors. And I know that's oversimplifying it to some extent, but I just, none of those skins are clicking with me, but black Panther skins, they like, they literally change his, his silhouette. You know, it's yeah. not just, uh, it's not just different color schemes. It's like different materials. It's like, this one gives him a Cape. You know, this one gives him a duster. He's got a cowboy hat in this one. Like all different materials, like leather and fur and like metal and studded stuff. And like some are reflective and some are matte. And like, I know that there's tons of references to Black Panther comic history. I don't, I have not read a ton of Black Panther, so I didn't recognize a lot of them. Some of them I did. And some of them are named after the books uh, that they're from, like his exiles skin mm. is really cool. But yeah, they're, they're all super sick. And like, I've never wanted to spend money on Avengers before, but I kind of, <laughs> I kind of do. I kind of want to wail out. Oh, is, is it? Well, this, this is my work. next question. Uh, do you have to grind much for that content? Oh yeah, Ugh. for sure, dude. Well, so there's still the, that. yeah, it's still like the characters battle pass. You can earn some skins there. There's an iconic, uh, I think they call it the diplomat, but he's got an iconic mission, which is like a huge, it's like. It's ridiculous. It's actually really hard until you get a lot of your masteries unlocked. I don't even think you can do 
one of the challenges. Um, Cause it's just so specific. It's like, you have to build your meter up all the way and then do the blast. And then in the 10 seconds that you're buffed with the blast, kill a hundred enemies with the last hit of a heavy combo Jeez. or a light combo. And it's, yeah, dude, it's just like, woof until you get to a point where you can build that meter up easily. It's like, don't even try to do this because yeah. if you kill a dude with like the middle hit of a combo, it doesn't count. Right. Yeah, so you have no. to get them weak, but not weak enough that the blast kills them, but weak enough that the la- the exact last hit of your combo is going to kill them. It's like, so anyway, so yeah, there are skins to earn. Uh, and the skins you can earn are good. Most of it's going to be buying stuff. Yeah. That's a shame. It, you see, you seem like, like I'm, I'm hearing from you. I'm not like convinced. I, I want to be convinced. I want to have that excuse to go download avengers 100 gigabytes again right and i guess 50 for this like i I want to but it's like that doesn't feel like a pull do you think many people are going to feel like that or do you think maybe it has wrote people back in so here's the problem like everything that they've added in the year since you've played it like the this is now the fourth campaign right Mm because we had the launch campaign uh, about kamala and then kate bishop's story and then hawkeye's story and now this is the fourth one. And all of that content is great single player content. Yeah. I mean, you can play through most of it with your friends. There's like seven missions in this. And I think only like the first one, maybe the first two are single player. Like, yes, you can play through this content with your friends if you all want to be Black Panther, which is like pretty weird. <laughs> like playing the game with four Black Panthers is pretty weird. But yeah, so five hours maybe seven hours you get through the story stuff and then everybody's just going to put it down again because because everything that they've added is like great story cinematics cutscenes, voice acting all the kind of stuff you would want in like an expansion for spider-man you know yeah, yeah. an expansion for any any uh single player or like open world game or whatever like i'm gonna dip back into this game and play this new content but there is still not enough there to keep people playing. And if they can't keep people playing, like all these expansions are free, right? They're always yeah. going to be free. They're not selling DLC. All they're selling is boosters, XP boosters and cosmetics. And if people aren't going to stick around to like max level Black Panther, which by the way, side note, there's a mission, like the fourth mission where you have to like unlock this door. You got to do this quick little puzzle and unlock this door. And you get so much experience for getting through this door that you can just reload your, your, your checkpoint and just open the door over and over and <laughs> over and, and reach max level. Like so fast gameplay, everyone that. that's Marvel Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know when you see it, when you get to this funky door that you have to do this puzzle to open, as soon as the door opens, reset get that checkpoint <laughs> grind it out but that i mean that's that that is the games that has still always been the problem and that is still the problem yeah. that there is not a fun thing to do when the game ends the missions just they still get repetitive they've added stuff like this is a set of items that only drop from this mission type and you can only do it three times a week so come in you know every single week and try to get this full set. But like the gear sets just aren't that cool. They like, they aren't that impactful. They're not game changing. 
the the only thing they're building into this game that's meaningful is new characters. And when a new character comes out, everybody wants to play that character. So everybody plays through the campaign, maybe like dicks around in the post-game stuff where like you, it's just Black Panthers everywhere. Everybody's Black Panther. Yeah. And then they bounce and that's how it's going to be if they don't if they don't change their like content release. I don't Can know. Can they I don't, I'm, like, turn it around, do you think? I I I don't think so. Personally, I when I when I played it originally, I was a big fan of the single player. Well, big yeah. fans probably stretch. Like I, I was a fan of the single player. Uh, and then I never touch anything else. And I feel like that is, like you're saying, the experience of so many people. Uh, can that ever change? Do you think they'll ever go, you know what, this works better single player, let's focus on that. Or have they just screwed themselves? So, the, I'll give you a shitty answer. Th- this game can be fixed. Mm. I don't know if Crystal Dynamics can fix this game. Right. Because I'm not sure that, like, I have no evidence that that studio knows how to make a good live service game. Mm. So the reason I know it can be fixed is because so much of what is there is working. The combat is great. Yeah. I mean, it can be buggy for sure, Mm. but it feels very fun. Like the characters feel great to play. They don't feel great to run around with. Like the (laughs) traversal is a huge problem. No wait. Yeah. Yeah. But the combat itself is super fun. The environments are really cool. And Wakanda does so much to mix it up. It's, I didn't play, at least in the campaign, there's no like run through the overworld, take the elevator down, fight through the aim base. Like this time we have cave systems and ruins to explore, temples. Uh, you, you get on a train and you go to a different part of Wakanda. Like it's a, that it it feels like a good evolution of the formula. Mm. Uh kind is a really cool place to explore and they're going to add more places if the game survives and I think those <laughs> are going to be really cool too. Um but if if they don't if they don't redo loot, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's if the they don't like yeah. they got to make stuff meaningful because what they added to extend the game, the problem is okay. Everything that they add tags onto the end of the game. Mm. Nothing that they add builds the game out. Right. So when we talk about like games that have big renaissance, like No Man's Sky, right? Like everything No Man's Sky added was layered. It all expanded the core game out. It was never like, hey, once you finish the game, that's not very good. You can do this thing. And that's what Avengers is doing. Yeah. It's just adding, it's just tagging stuff onto the end of the game to extend the length of it. And that's never going to keep people playing. The, the, the mechanic that they added to extend the grind is this like linear mastery system, or it's not called mastery. It's, it's just more levels. Right. And you get a point and you can put that point into more health or more attack damage. And eventually you'll just have all the points and you'll just fill in the tree. There's no choices to make that the, the masteries have some choices about like what your attacks do, or maybe like debuffs or whatever. And that can sort of flow into your gear a little bit, but it's just, it's not coming together. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with you though. The, it, it seems almost unsolvable in my opinion, because it's the the problem is the loot. The problem is the fact that it's not cosmetic because it just doesn't give people a reason. I don't like. I don't know anyone who doesn't just hold L two and like auto gear. 
Like that's just the way to do it. That's the smartest thing to do. Uh, and unless they had like a big, you know, realm reborn sort of moment of like, look, loot matters. I I can't see it. Yeah, working unfortunately. Uh, but to be more positive, say what's next? Uh, Spider Man, right? Do you think that Spider Man is... will be a weird one? Because Spider Man's oh, yeah. not going to have a campaign or a zone, like because it's just going to drop on a place. It'll probably have some cinematics. It might even have he might even have a short like iconic hero mission or whatever. But it's not going to be the War for Wakanda expansion, you know. Mm. What do you think will be? What do you think's next? Like that they can do. So they hinted at some characters in this. Um, there's like a mystical guy that like Ooh. psychically talks to people and you can overhear him talking to uh talking to or about uh Doctor Strange Ooh, well, that would be cool. S- Scarlet Witch and Loki. Ah, see when uh, I hear that that's funny because when I hear that instantly I'm I'm like not interested in Avengers at the moment but I hear those characters I'm like ooh that could pull me back in. But the problem is it for my money it's like I said that about Black Panther. I've been saying that for every mm-hmm. single character that comes out. Like, oh, the next big one I'll come back for. And I just don't. Uh, so maybe maybe I'm, like, cynical about it. But I, I want this game to succeed. Like, when when people were showing interest in War for Condor, I was happy. I was like, yeah, this could turn it around. But from the sounds of it, it's just more of the same. Good good content, but doesn't change it up. Right, yeah. Great, great content, but, like... I am such a huge live service guy. Mm. I I love Destiny. I love battle passes. Like I want to be invested in games. I want to have I want to play games like a hobby, you know? Like I mm. a, as much as like daily check-ins and like timed boosters and stuff like gets under my skin because it's like manipulative. Like I don't like when games ask me for something. I still do it. Like yeah. it is in my brain. It's gotten to me. I, I like being rewarded for playing. i like constant progression and, and Avengers ain't doing that at all yeah. at all. Like the, it, it's so obvious what's missing. You know, the, you cannot grind for the sake of grinding. Like the levels cannot be the, the reward. Mm. And I know that works for some people for sure, but there's, you know, there's a thousand people playing this game, on, at least on Steam, on a normal day, less than a thousand. So it's not working for enough people. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I don't want to play the game just to make a number go up. Mm. And the things that you unlock by hitting that max level, like the new content types, the the mega hives and the um, the the like super bosses. I forget what they call them. Like oh, that I content's that. not bad, but if the rewards aren't there. It's it's just not gonna it's not gonna keep people hooked. Yeah, no, I, I, so I sadly agree, completely agree. I don't know. I don't know what they do. Maybe they shot themselves in the foot by saying everything's gonna be free forever. Like <laughs> Destiny doesn't do that, you know. Like there's no subscription, and there's no paid DLC. So the only thing supporting the game is microtransactions. But if nobody's playing the game, like. With Destiny, at least if people just buy the expansion and play the story and then stop playing, they still bought the expansion, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wonder at and what point people... Square Enix cuts their losses. That that's the I think that's a big question. Like at what point do they go, look, we've got all these characters that we wanted to do, 
but it's just not going to happen. Uh, I I don't know if they can. They have, like to save face. I don't know if they just have to keep going until like they've done these characters. In some ways, it's hard to believe that it's still going. Yeah, <laughs> with with how few seemingly how few players there are. I know that they got a big spike during the free weekend, but as far as I can, like, I don't have access to PlayStation's numbers. I assume most people are on PlayStation or Xbox. Like I can only see PC. So like it, it, there didn't seem to be much retention. And when I looked at it, yes, yesterday, there was like, actually, I'm going to look at it right now. Yeah. Tap dance for a second. But I think it's like, if, if it is how you're saying it is and people, you know, they just, they jump in, uh, they finish the campaign and then they're done. Like that, that is definitely not retention and having a really cool character, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't change that. Unfortunately, the, the saving grace is that it's Marvel and there's going to be whales. Like there are people that are just going to buy every single black Panther skin. And we don't know how many of those people there are, but looking at the steam charts right now, the 24 hour peak like so basically since the, since launch mm. of the expansion 4800 like that doesn't seem good that no. seems really dire that does it's better but for like the biggest expansion to come to the game like the one that everyone's been wanting you know you just have to i just have to wonder at what point it's like there are so many games to play right now right like we know this every other week there's something new to play yeah. Like I think that's the problem. Who is who is at the moment going, hmm, next week do I want to play well, I guess Psychonauts 2 is a bit niche, but Psychonauts 2 or Marvel's Avengers, like it seems like an easy go, like for any other game than Avengers, unfortunately. Yeah, or or play if you want to play a co op uh you know, PvE game, like you can play Aliens next week. Yeah. And then if you wait a couple more weeks, you can play Back for Blood. Like yeah. we're not we're definitely not starved for this type of game. It's just like how much do you love Marvel? And that's that that has obviously carried it for a year. It's just it's hard for me to see all the resources get dumped into these very good short campaigns when like it should be a live service game. That's the only way it's going to survive it is if it's a good live service game and it's just not. Yeah. Um, it's dire isn't it yeah it's talking about it it's just like i i so i would so love for a comeback story i would love that because i i like you said there is a good game here there is a really good game here yeah it's just buried and this is coming from someone who hasn't even played war for wakanda like i'm someone who like i hoped by the end of this i'd be like you know what fine i'll download it now but i'm just i'm again thinking i'll wait till spider-man i'll wait till war machine or whatever I I know how pressed they are because like when I when I got the review guide before launch, it said like Hawkeye mission coming several weeks late or coming within the launch window. I think it said, mm. and then it was more than six months. Like I I know they're super duper pressed to get this content out, but I would so much rather them drop these campaigns and focus on making the game fun in the long run you know yeah do you think it could survive like that like do you do you mean to trade the characters or just the story stuff i think they would have been so much better off if instead of the two 
campaign, the, the Kate Bishop and the Hawkeye campaign, if that whole year was spent beefing up the live service parts. And then when black Panther came out with this campaign, people could see that like the end game is good now. Yeah. But instead what we have is like three hours with Kate Bishop, four hours with Hawkeye, six or seven hours with black Panther, and then you're done. And it's, it's going to be a super fun weekend for people that haven't played it for a year. Like if you download the game right now and you have, all three of those campaigns to work through, I think you're going to have a blast. But that ain't enough. Yeah. Any other closing thoughts on War of Wakanda? As I sit here, very depressed by the state of Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like, that. the last thing I said, like, I do want people to play it. And obviously, I want the game to survive. Mm. Um, and a lot of shit I've been saying is just, like, armchair developer stuff. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking <laughs> about. I just play a lot of Destiny. So, um, yeah, I I was hopeful for its future a year ago. I'm still hopeful now, but I'm a lot more nervous now about it making it another year. Yeah. I, when the game came out, I was saying, like, we got to give it some time. It's going to get its footing. It's just one of those games that's like, it's going to take a while. And that's still true, but now a year has passed and its chances of bouncing back are getting slimmer and slimmer. Wow. If it, like I, I was saying the same, saying uh, that as soon as Hawkeye's out, you'll see like you'll see that they have a plan in mind, and I think they do have a plan, but it is unfortunately not the right focus. I think it's the right I focus yeah. if you love campaigns. Like I, I love campaigns. That's why I'm in it. I, like I like the single player stuff more, but I can see that's not helping the game. That's not what will get it in the long run. Yeah, well, that's not what's going to like push microtransactions, and it seems like they have to. It seems like yeah, yeah. people got to be buying boosters and skins if it's going to live. So. I've, ne- I've never played a game recently where I've sat there sort of thinking, ooh, like, this, is in, this is in financial trouble. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm stressed <laughs> yeah. for Avengers. Like, I'm sat there like, I am too. Make, make some money. Like, y- y- you've got heart, but unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah, and... And part of me also wonders what the reaction of Guardians is going to do to Avengers, you know? Because oh, that true. Guardians is the game that pe- a lot of people wanted Avengers to be. Yeah. I mean, you can't switch around the party. You only play Star-Lord. But it is that single-player RPG. Well, they're, they're saying it's not an RPG. But single-player third-person action game <laughs> that people expected Avengers to be and were disappointed to find out it was a live service. Yeah, I guess we'll see that so, in the coming months. I forget that's this this year. That kind of came out of nowhere. Like, yeah, this I think is that's real. October. Yeah, yeah, I think it's only a couple months away now. I'm super excited for that. Like, sa- sadly, I'm more excited about Guardians of the Galaxy than I think I ever was for Avengers. Like, just because yeah. they seem like they have a vision, uh, and they they're going for it. That that means more than. I, I, I've heard some people be like, "Oh, they're still just the MCU versions," and I don't agree with that. I think they are visually distinct. I think obviously there's going to be some crossover, but the fact that that first trailer just had the right attitude, it had like it's the a good direction. I think Avengers never had that. I think from the get go that has always been holding it back. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. Um, and I yeah, and I don't think more characters is going to fix anything. So, no. okay, cool, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for that. Are are you going to play it? <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, maybe it's 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 on the list, you know. Like there's a, there's a million yeah, yeah. other things, but 
maybe sure. one day. All right, uh, let's stick around. Let's jump over to our conversation on the best game of the year so far. Welcome back to the show. Uh, you know, every year we have such a rush of games between like September and December that it gets really hard to remember all the great stuff we played early on. So we wanted to uh, take this opportunity uh, mid-August when things are very slow to look back at 2021 and figure out um, what the best game of the year so far is. Uh, now we're going to do this uh in a mathematical way to determine the actual best game. This is definitive. This is the gamers <laughs> official best of 2021 so far. So here's how it's going to work. Uh, I am joined here by Stacy, George and Stephanie. Hello, all three of you. Hello. Each of you has brought two games for game of the year. I'm going to ask you to pitch your game uh, two of you, two at a time. And then the third person is going to choose. Uh, we'll go in three rounds. And once we have our three finalists, we'll do a final vote. And we'll figure out officially, 100% accurately, what the best game of 2021 so far is. <laughs> so I would like to start with Stacy and George. Stacy, what is your first choice for the gamers, the game of the year 2021 so far? Uh, my first choice is It Takes Two, the co-op puzzle platformer oh, that released, um, I want to say March, probably should look that up. Um, so for people who haven't played, it's a couch co-op game, which is a rarity in itself these days. Um, you play as, I, su I suppose they're voodoo dolls, but that sounds far too dark. You play as these <laughs> little dolls of parents who are possibly on the cusp of getting a divorce. And... Again, quite dark. You have to make your daughter cry so you come back to life. Um, <laughs> narratively, it's not brilliant, as I've just described. It's, a, it's very silly and fun, and you murder an elephant. And basically, there are two different uh, characters, the, the mom and the dad, Cody and May, I think are their names. Yeah. They each have unique skills, some of which um, work together. So there's one level where... Uh, one of the characters has essentially petrol, the other one has a spark, and you have to like burn down certain doorways to get through. So it's all about cooperation and working together and solving puzzles, and it's like a classic platformer, but with that twist. And really the reason why I like it is because I struggle to get my partner to play any games at all. Um, like she says, she likes games because she likes watching them, but she never really participates in in playing games so when i got it takes two i had like explain like if i get this you can't just watch it i will need you to play i mm -hmm. physically cannot play it by myself because it requires four pairs of hands um <laughs> so, and we were able to finish it um and i just think that was a really cool experience that not just i had but that a lot of people had a lot of people who love games would have bought this game would have had to tell someone whether it be a roommate or, or a partner or a parent or a kid we're going to play this together. I'm going to teach you how to play it, and you're going to, you know, have agency and have control. Um, so it's just a very sweet, very funny game. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And uh, it gets people who don't know how to play games playing games. And that is a great game. Yeah, I had the exact same experience with my partner 
playing It Takes Two. She doesn't uh, play. She plays lots of mobile games, but when you put a controller in her hands, she tends to struggle. And I think that what It Takes Two does so brilliantly is that it it feels as though it is designed for a gamer and a non-gamer to play together. There's a lot of opportunities for one person to really carry both mm-hmm. players. It never feels particularly punishing for those that are like maybe underskilled or underexperienced. And yet she still had tons of like huge moments of triumph. I remember um, towards the beginning of the game when uh, there there's a moment where one character f- is steering a plane while the yeah. other character stands on top of the plane and fist fights a squirrel like a street fighter mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. Uh, and the plane incredible. is made of underpants, which is and the, really important to establish. Right, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> let me back up. Okay, so the plane is made of underpants. Um, <laughs> and she just was so proud of herself when she beat the shit out of that squirrel. Um, and And I think, like, we maybe take some of those moments for granted. Probably we us as writers take them less for granted because we're always thinking about moments. But um, the average gamer, let's say, just plays games and enjoys them and doesn't think about what what they mean to them that much. But for someone that doesn't play a lot of games like her, that was like a big moment. And she's brought it up again since then. And I think It Takes Two does that a lot. Uh, And yeah, I'm totally with you. Fantastic game. George, what is your first choice? Uh, so I feel <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely fighting the tide here now uh, because I would have actually picked It Takes Two as well, especially <laughs> after hearing all those arguments. So I'm now like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess uh, my choice would be Disco Elysium, The Final Cut. Uh, Ooh, I wouldn't okay. just say it's one of the best games of 2021. I would say it's one of the best games I've ever played. Um, so if you haven't played it, it's essentially an RPG uh, so you wake up as a detective who has the literal worst hangover in the world, so bad that he forgets who he is. Uh, and from there, the crux of it is that you have to solve this mystery, right? But the interesting part is that you're kind of you're kind of creating your own character, but it feels so natural and so like well written. Some of the prose, some of the like dialogue, like some of it is just so. It, it kind of in my head it redefined what game writing could be. Like, not just in dialogue, we've seen games with amazing dialogue for, like, years and years and years now, but just, like, how descriptive it could be. It re- it reads like a book, or like a novel, or like a play. Um, and being, like, quite a big uh, reader, well, I used to be before games, it just kind of felt like the perfect marriage. Um, as a game, I guess, I really shouldn't argue against myself, but as a game, I guess it's not, like, the most engaging, like, gameplay mechanics-wise, but just from that standpoint of telling a story, creating a character, really getting invested in the world, it's there's nothing like it. Yeah, well said, man, because that game, it it's a lot like Kentucky Route Zero because it really like transcends the medium. And it's such a tough mm. sell for people um, because it is, it's dense. It's not... It's not that much fun, right? Like, it's kind of hard. Like, it's such a great experience. And, like, I treasure playing that game. And I want everyone to play it. I want everybody to experience mm. it. But, like, it's not Mario. It's pretty much the furthest thing from Mario. So, yeah, like, yeah, it's it's like eating your vegetables, right? Like, like go, <laughs> go play this game, everybody. But, you know, like, know what you're getting into. And play Kentucky Route Zero, too. That didn't come out this year. But seriously, play that game. But also play It Takes Two. 
All right, Stephanie, you have the honor of choosing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, sorry, George. Um, <laughs> I so it it takes two. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but it takes two was on my list as well. Um, for very similar reasons as Eric and Stacy have both talked about. Um, but another thing is that the co-op in that game. What I really liked is that. It was very, it was varied. So in a lot of co-op games, it's like you're helping each other, you have to help each other jump up on these ledges or like perform these certain actions over and over again. And it takes two, um, there's like a lot of different stuff that you can do, which I really enjoyed a lot. That made it the best co-op player game that I've played in a very, very long time. So for that reason, and also the bonding with my partner, which I have mm -hmm. written about as well, um, I would definitely have to go with it takes two between those. All right, George, give us your second pick. Second pick. Oof. Uh, it takes two was one of them, so I've kind of had to like backtrack a bit, but I've got another fantastic contender here. Uh, Neo, The World Ends With You. I cannot sing enough praise for this game. Um, that is another one of my... It's been a good year for games, guys. Like That is another one of those games where it's like, yeah, this is one of my favorites. Again, maybe of all time. So we didn't get a chance to talk about this on the show, so can you kind of like... We we were gonna do a segment and talk about it, but it didn't fall into the schedule. So, like, kind of give us your short review of the game. Uh, whew, short review. <laughs> Keep it short, I guess. Um, so I <laughs> guess it's it's so weird to like try and like sum it up like that. But I guess I would say everything about it is so confident and so like sure of itself in a way I haven't seen in a while. Um, uh, really hard game to just sum up, but. The story and characters are like fantastically well done. Uh, it's engaging throughout. It is youthful and energetic. And I know I hate using the word fun because it's such a you know nothing word. It's like oh something's fun, you know. But it is fun. Like it's just something you go in there, you enjoy it. It knows what it is. It doesn't try and do more than that. Uh, and then like presentation story wise, that's all fantastic. But then you have a combat system that's just really, really enjoyable. You just mess around with it a lot. Like you've got these pins that you use, and then you're crafting your team, and it turns into like almost like a rhythm game. Uh, and by the end of like the thirty or forty hours, you're just so invested in these characters in this world, uh, and it's just a like a really, really, really good game that I feel like a lot of people are going to overlook. Sadly. Okay, Stephanie, what is your first game? Well, for me, there's now a very obvious choice. I was struggling all the way up until just a few days ago, actually. Um, the Forgotten City is definitely yes. my top pick. <laughs> yes. Um, I just, I fell in love with it almost immediately. Um, I The philosophy in it. So I've been very into philosophy, actually, before I got into, you know, games, journalism and stuff. I loved philosophy, read it all the time. Uh, was super nerd about it. Um, so The Forgotten City, just right away, they're hitting you with, like, the moral issues and stuff, like, trying to debate about what a sin actually is and you know all of that and i just i loved it so i guess maybe i should have described what kind of game this is for people who don't know um it's kind of like a so it's <laughs> yeah sorry my bad um so it's a very narrative focused game um you're still there's still stuff you can do like walking around and i think so full disclosure i have not fully finished the game yet but it is good enough that it is already up at the top for me um, there's some action stuff in it, but it's largely focused on trying to talk to people and it's kind of mystery solving sort of thing. And, um, all the characters are very 
complex. They all have like their own motivations that you have to try to figure out. And I just, I loved all of it. So that's definitely my topic. And actually I should mention that the world is very visually pleasing as well. Like it's very pretty. You kind of just want to wander around and look at everything. And it sort of has a similar feel to Skyrim in that way, which, you know, makes sense as it started as a Skyrim mod originally. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It would just be a solid 10 out of 10 for me so far. Yep. That's totally one of my games of the year too. And like you, I knew that it was before, long before I finished it and it just, yeah. it just keeps getting better. Um, we talked about Kian and I talked about uh, Forgotten City a lot uh, two weeks ago in our first episode. So if you want to hear a more long form discussion about that game, absolutely, uh, you can go back. Um, cool. Stacy, you have the honor. I do. Um, I have a, um, there are two reasons for my decision. Um, I will explain them both. I'm going for um, Neo 2 Woohoo! One, mm. because it was one of my alternates. It's probably fourth best of the year for me. Um, it feels weird as a 29-year-old to say how much it gets youth culture because I'm not a part of youth culture anymore. <laughs> um, but it feels so... Um, it feels so, like passionately connected to, to fashion and, and music in a way that when games try to be, they they can just be a bit hella cringy, Shagabra. You know, it, <laughs> it has that sense of of reality to it. Um, and the characters are also uh, engaging and fun. And I actually didn't play the DS version. I am a bit of a heathen because I was excited for this game because it looked oh, a bit no, like Did you play it on your phone? No, I never played it at all. Um, oh, but okay. I, I was excited because it looked like Persona, which I know is like a bad thing to say because they're not similar at all. These games about teenagers and magic power set in Shibuya are in no way similar. Um, <laughs> so I was really excited for a flat reason. I played it. I loved it. It's one of my favorites of the year. On the other hand, it feels so great on a podcast for the gamer to thoroughly annoy our boss by not picking a philosophical imsim. <laughs> so I'm not going to pick the Forgotten City. Okay. Despite choice. I get it. <laughs> So I'm going with Neo. <laughs> wow. You've got to respect the troll. Uh, okay, great. Stephanie, tell us your number two choice. Ah, okay. Um, I think, so I, I had It Takes Two on my list, but I mm. think um, after that, I think I'm going to go with new Pokemon Snap, actually. Yes. Um, because I was actually pretty fed up with Pokemon. Uh, so I was very into Pokemon, you know, like a million other people, millions of other people. Um, but my love for it kind of died out over the years because I felt like it was just the same game over and over and over with slight variations. And um, having new Pokemon Snap come out was awesome because it's, I liked having a different twist on how I could interact with the Pokemon. And um, I really liked the old game, the N64 version. And I just thought they brought it back to life in a way that was awesome. And I really enjoyed playing it every night before bed. It was like, oh, you know, it's bedtime, time to get into bed and just take some pictures of my Pokemon right before I fall asleep. It was just the most peaceful thing ever, and I loved it. So definitely I think that would be my next pick. Believe it or not, Keen and I did a long-form discussion of Pokemon <laughs> Snap in our previous episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
no, I totally agree. It's one of my games of the year as well. Man, you guys have good taste. Um, Pokemon, new Pokemon Snap is a delight. Some people complain <laughs> about the grind. Uh, yeah. they, they think it's too long. And uh, I, I don't think they could be more wrong. I, I love the way that that game unfolds over time. It's so rewarding. It, uh, yeah, I'm digging it. I know Stacy really likes it too. Yeah, Pokemon Snap was would have been my my pick. I kind of didn't reverse it. Pokemon Snap actually is my my game of the year. Takes two was was second. I think mm. there's Heart Gold. You have to respect Pokemon Gold because of how big it is and how much of a phenomenon it is. Mm-hmm. I would say New Pokemon Snap is the third best Pokemon game of all time. It takes what makes Pokemon great and does it in such a phenomenal way. I know it wouldn't exist without all the other games that have much bigger mechanics to them. Sure. Um, but New Pokemon Snap is just so special. It's I've never wanted to replay a, a Pokemon game like this other than, you know, Heart Gold and, and, and Blue and Yellow when I was a kid. It's, it's I mean, it's not my pick. I shouldn't be, um, <laughs> be excited for it. But um, New Pokemon Snap is a, is a phenomenal game. Um, and I would be happy to see it win overall. But it's not my pick because I can't pick it now, can I? Well... We'll hear you're picking it in a sec. <laughs> well, let's give it some air. Um, yeah, so so there was just a big update for Snap. They added three new courses, 20 new Pokemon to Snap. And uh, we talked about that last week, if you want to hear more about that. Yeah. But Stacey, give us your actual number two <laughs> choice. Uh, I'm going to go for Persona 5 Strikers, the uh, okay. Musa game that came oh. out back in January. Tell us um, about Strikers. I didn't play it. So... I I have a really weird relationship with Persona and I, I really like Persona and I also really don't like Persona at all because I always say Persona 5 is one of the best 50-hour games made. Problem is it lasts for 200 hours. Right. So there's the characters are really interesting to get to know. The, the way it does the Seven Deadly Sins is such an interesting take on things. It's I know we're discussing Boyfriend Dungeon on this um, podcast, and it probably should come with trigger warnings based on that discussion, but it deals with some really dark themes in a way that games are often afraid to, and it gets some of them wrong, but I just, I admire the game as an entity, but it's such a slog to play the actual game. So Strikers is, it's a Musa game, so you know, you face hordes and hordes of enemies, and it's much more high and slash, it's more like... Neo 2 in its combat and I think the idea is you spend a whole year with the cast of Persona 5 in the main game and then Strikers is you meet up again for summer and it feels like that, it feels like meeting old friends for a summer road trip and everything is much breezier everything is less laden down with responsibilities and with oh you want to go to the arcade but you can't because your pet cat tells you you're not allowed there's none of that nonsense in there. It's just you and your friends driving and beating up weird snowmen. Um, it's one of those games that I think it's very rare that there's a fan service game that is so full of content. You know, it's, it's kind of like the Mass Effect 3 DLC pack, or the, the Citadel mm-hmm. DLC pack, where it's, it's really been made for, for fans and for you to get to know the characters even more and see a new side of them. But it's a fully fleshed out game. It's not just a, a two or three hour experience. Um, 
So I don't think it's going to win any Game of the Year awards in general because you need to love Persona 5 for it to mm-hmm. click. You know, on a gameplay level, it's fine. But it's that idea of going back and visiting old friends in a way that's just less weighed down with all of the, you know, JRPG stuff that all JRPGs come with, and especially Persona 5 comes with. It's a nice way to visit that game without having to, you know, be told off by your cat because you want to play Street Fighter. <laughs> Pretty compelling, George. What's <laughs> what's it going to be, buddy? I know, this is going to be tough. <laughs> Whew, uh, the the thing is, when you guys were praising New Pokemon Snap, I have played and finished New Pokemon Snap, and I couldn't disagree more with all of you. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I, I I didn't I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. It was okay. Um, I can definitely see the charm. Uh, and if you go for it and you really get into it, like I, I, it sounds like all of you did, I can definitely see it being up there. But I didn't. Uh, I was done by the end. Whereas Persona 5 Strikers, I really, really loved. And oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. It, it, it's anything else. Hey, but this is, math. this is math. This is how it works. Okay. All right. Strikers it is. Yeah, I, I love Strikers, so that's got to be it. All right. Uh, we are now in the final round. Uh, we're down to three games, and I need each of you to pitch why your game is better than the other two. Well, that's uh, not true because I have two games because I have the best tasting games. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I think rounds. I think George is going to have to take Strikers now. <laughs> so let's start with Stacy. Stacy, well, tell us why It Takes Two is better. Oh no, I'm sorry. Stephanie has to take Strikers. Uh, yeah. George has Neo. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Steph, have oh, you, have you um, played? Wait a I second. Ha- I, I have, I have played Strikers, um, but <laughs> uh, Steph, unfortunately, Steph take, it takes two. I will, I will defend Strikers as Anna. Okay, uh, yeah, right. let's Steph do that. Because she was going to pick that anyway. Fair okay, point. okay, all right. So, um, yeah, it takes two. Um, I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said, though. That's tell tell us why it's better than Neo and Strikers. Uh, well, I'm going to epically fail at defending it against Neo because I have not played that game. Um, so I'm going to just go with Strikers. Um, I have played Strikers. Um, I did, so I played Persona 5 Royal. I played through all of that, and then I played through about half of Strikers, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so I, I okay, I do, I do agree with the fact that the characters are really great. Um, that's probably for me the strongest point of Persona 5 Royal and uh, Strikers is that I really got into the characters. I loved their relationships and hearing about all of their experiences and stuff that was cool, but I could not get into the fighting style, the combat of the game. I just, it's just, I, I know that it's supposedly really great, but it just wasn't for me. And that kind of took away from it a little bit for me. And also, I think someone mentioned the time commitment was mm-hmm. was very, very huge. And um, especially lately, you know, trying to keep up on writing articles and stuff, it's a little hard for me to sit down with this, you know, however many hours long game. So I just, I had a much better experience with It Takes Two overall, I think. Interesting tactic. Just tell us why Strikers is bad <laughs> instead of sorry. why It Takes Two is I'm good. Sorry. I like I that. Just... No, I like it. <laughs> I felt I felt like we covered the positives of It Takes Two, so I thought I would just try a different approach. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand okay. by it. 
All right, uh, George, tell us why uh, Neo is the best game of the year so far. Uh, so I've already sensed like, the winner of this. I think we all have, but I will go down <laughs> with my ship. Um, <laughs> and I will say, similar to Steph, I'm going to try and like big up Neo in a way that the others don't. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that presentation-wise, both music and visually, it is one of the best sounding and one of the best oh, looking okay. games of the year. Uh, not necessarily the 3D jaggy models, but the 2D art, the, well, the soundtrack just speaks for itself, but those two elements are like, ah, oh, there's nothing like it. It is just pure Neo, the world, it, well, not Neo, it's pure the world ends with you, and the fact it commits to that style and still gets it right so many years later, I think that's worth commending. And Stacy, tell us why Strikers is better than It Takes Two and Neo, the world ends with you. Um, uh, to be honest, I think all three games that we've um, come to, it takes to Neo and Persona 5 Strikers, they are all really about connections. It takes to, that's pretty obvious, you're the, mm-hmm. the married couple who need to you know rekindle their marriage. Um, two is all about the different people that you meet, and there's obviously Fret and Rindo's friendship is at the core of it. And I think all three games are defined by that theme, and I do think that Persona 5 Strikers does that theme better than any of you um, and either that too. It's a it is a game about meeting old friends and reuniting with them and connecting with them. And the negative with Persona Five Strikers is you need to have played a different game beforehand. I know George said that was the case with Neo. I having not played the original two, I don't think it is. And obviously, it takes two as an original IP. So, if you assume that the person playing it has played Persona Five. I think there's something really special about being able to meet those characters in in Strikers. In a, and I think that's what we should be celebrating in games, you know, the way we get to to meet these new characters. I wouldn't have voted for it. I would have voted for a new Pokemon Snap and It Takes Two. I don't know what you want me to say. I'm definitely thin. <laughs> it's good. It's a good right. game. It's my third favourite and my favourite already in the, in the top. And well, Neo is probably my fourth favourite, so I'm really happy whatever wins. I wanted Snap. I'll go ahead and say now that Snap's out. I I wanted Snap, but that you know what, it's the scientific method never fails. So, uh, George, George, give us your final vote for the 2021 official game of the year so far. It's it takes two. Like I, I wouldn't argue that at all. Uh, I love Disco Elysium and Neo and Strikers and not Pokemon Snap. <laughs> but... <laughs> It takes two is special. There is, <laughs> there is nothing like it. Uh, so I would like, you know, happily take that. Steph, what's your final vote? I will begrudgingly say it takes two. Now that the Forgotten City has been knocked out, <laughs> I'm gonna go with a solid. It takes two vote. Yeah. My goodness, Stacy, your final vote. Um, um, it's irrelevant because we've got two, two, it takes two. <laughs> But it was the first game that I pitched, and it's it's my favorite of these three. It's probably my second favorite of the year, so I'm very happy to give the crown to to a takes two. And I just know in my heart that if Keen was here, Pokemon Snap would have won. <laughs> a unanimous, <laughs> a unanimous decision for it takes two. Wow, I can't believe it. Uh, the trophy will be sent out uh, as soon as possible to. It takes two developers. I can't remember their names. Uh, Hazelice, is it? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, before we go, there now, now that we know what the best game was, let's talk about some of our honorable mentions because it has been uh, an incredible year. 
I think, uh, and perhaps a lot more sleepers or maybe under the radar stuff mm-hmm. this year than, than some other years. So I want to give everybody an opportunity to talk about some other stuff that they really love that they, that they want people to play. Uh, Stacy, what comes to mind for you? Um, well, my four favorites have all kind of been dealt with in this, in this yeah. podcast. So I would say next in line, um, a game that I haven't heard many people talk about is Chicory. That's a great game. Yeah. Um, you play as a, a a dog that you name after your favorite food. That uh, all the color disappears from the world, and they are basically the janitor to the person who's supposed to put the color back in the world. Um, that person is, is chicory, but that person is there's more to it than this. But basically, that person is depressed, so you become the person who puts the color back in the world, and it's just about kind of dealing with you know imposter syndrome, depression, mental health, your place in the world. It's a bit like Whiplash, you know, the, the film Whiplash with this idea of how far do you push a great artist to get greatness mm-hmm. out of them. Um, and you get to be a dog called Pizza. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> I also like Boyfriend Dungeon, but I know that's being discussed in yeah. this. But, uh, we, we already discussed well. it. We're time, we're time travelers. <laughs> um, excellent. I, I have purchased Chicory on your recommendation, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that. You know, one of these days when I don't have a million games to play. <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, Steph, is there anything else you played this year that you want to recommend? Uh, yeah, so there's two other games. One was actually Boyfriend Dungeon, but like Stacy said, I guess we're going to be getting more into that. We already did get into that. Right, right. We already talked about it. Um, yeah. Okay, so the other one is a game called What Comes After. Technically, the game came out before 2021, but the Switch version came out in 2021. So I played that this year when it came out on Switch. And basically, um, it's it's a very short game. Um, it's about a girl who is also, she's struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And basically, she falls asleep and then wakes up on this train and the train is going to the afterlife. So the train is filled with ghosts, uh, ghosts of people, animals, and plants. And basically, she just walks around talking to all these different people and animals and plants about you know, their life, what happened, their thoughts on going to the afterlife and stuff. And through the game, basically, she realizes that she hasn't been treating herself very kindly. Um, she hasn't been loving herself the way she should. But the game does it without just saying, you know, oh, you need to love yourself. She slowly, like, pieces that together by talking to a bunch of different people, which is really cool. Um, there's actually one specific part in the game where she's talking to a cat and she says, you know, oh, my mom and my sister just think I'm a burden. And then the cat says, like, oh, that's so horrible that they said that about you. And then she says, well, no, they didn't say it about me. And then the cat says, well, then why do you think this? And she doesn't have an answer. And so they just have like really cool, subtle ways of, you know, trying to reshape your mindset. And it had a really big impact on me as I've struggled a lot with depression and stuff. So that game made much more of an impression than I expected it to when I picked it up. So it was, I definitely recommend it. It was really good. Oh, cool. That That's a great recommendation. I wasn't familiar with it. What platforms is it on? Oh, um, I know it's on PC also, and then the Nintendo Switch, but aside from that, I'm not sure if it's on PlayStation or Xbox or not. Okay. And what's your, what was your other recommendation then? Oh, uh, well, the other one was Boyfriend Dungeon, but oh, I right. didn't, okay. I, yeah, I didn't think we should get into that yet. We already did. Oh my god. Eventually I'll get that right. Uh, we already did. It's currently Friday. <laughs> <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's your, um, 
what, what what's some other games you played this year that you want to recommend uh so i'm gonna sound like a massive shill for playstation here but both returnal and uh ratchet and clank rift apart are both really really fantastic i can't uh, stacy's think... hitting her head right now that she didn't think of ratchet and clank before yeah yeah ra- well ra- that's that's it ratchet and clank's so so good uh but i feel like returnal hasn't got the the love it deserves i i've gone on record to say oh the lack of saving stupid and i hate it and blah 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 and then i actually sat down and spent like the proper time with it i was like okay yeah this is so worth it hmm. uh it as soon as you get past that learning curve it is really 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 good uh it would have it would have been one of my picks but like i said i've been a bit more like mixed on it in the past uh and then to not be a sony shield for a second uh knockout city oh my oh, god yeah. i was so into this game when it came out i love knockout city it's so fun uh i fell off the wagon a bit now i don't know if i'll ever get back on but for the like space that i spent playing it i got pretty good and i, I you know i really enjoyed it uh and there's nothing else like it well splitgate is kind of an experimental multiplayer one as well i'd mentioned that but mm-hmm. i haven't put as much time in but yeah knockout city for sure yeah love knockout city haven't come back to it much but i had a ton of fun when i played it in the first season um i want to talk about a game called the veil this entire uh, segment has been a setup just so that I get to talk about The Veil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, by the time you're listening to this, is out. I believe it came out on Thursday. Uh, it is a first-person action RPG uh, that is only audio. Uh, there is no visual component to the game at all. Uh, it's a Game of Thrones-style low-fantasy adventure. You play a blind princess. Um, the the king has died, and she is banished to like a distant castle to be the warden of a small kingdom. And uh, on the way there, there's like an invading army that attacks. She's left for dead, and she has to make her way 500 miles back to her home k- kingdom, where her brother is now the ruler. And... Uh, and she's blind. So the only way that she can make her way back is with the help of a shepherd. Um, and you travel through towns, you complete side quests, you sword fight and use magic and fire bows and arrows. And all of it is only with sound. It's a remarkable game. Um, it, it tends to get a little repetitive, I think, because so much of the game is like, follow this sound or you know fight these three enemies that make the same grunts so that you know how to how to react um but the the voice acting the performances are like stunning it it's if you like audio podcasts i think or if you like uh like audio dramas like narrative podcasts it's it's a very similar experience it's sort of like an interactive podcast but but it is a first person action rpg like it's all there and the uh the combat is so inventive uh, enemies have all kinds of different attacks and they all have sound cues you use only the sticks to fight so the left stick is shield and right stick is sword and you have to point your sticks to block attacks and to swing your sword all around you in different directions you can do charge attacks you can do spells it's like there's a lot going on in this game that there's nothing to see um so super impressed with that one i think every i I don't think many people are going to hear about it but um i think what's most impressive and i'll shut up about it after this but um you know 
because it's fully blind accessible, it had to be made in such a way that people who have no exposure to games can play it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not just that it's all uh, a purely audio experience. It's also a game where you can put a controller in the hands of someone who's never held a controller before and they can figure out how to play. So the controls are simple and intuitive. There's a lot of tutorialization, but it's all very natural. And I think it's such a great entry point. We talked about It Takes Two uh, being a great game for non-gamers. Um, and and that's that's certainly true, but I think this is another great example. Yeah, incredible game. Everybody go play it. Um, anything we're forgetting? Any big major ones that will feel feel weird that we left out? I mean, I don't really want to go to bat for it, but Resident Evil Village was is one of the biggest games of the year. I, yeah. I found it okay, but it's one of the biggest releases. Yeah, yeah, I would have said Resident Evil as well, but like I, I wouldn't have like gone to bat for it either. But again, I would have pointed out. It's I I would say it's easily top ten for me, but I I don't think it's going to win any uh any game of the years with all the great stuff that we've had and that we've talked about um no, we've still got some big ones to come as well so and we still got a lot of big ones to come yeah yeah we did our most anticipated last week um if you want to hear that we got a lot of big stuff coming up uh and that's it we'll be right back with keen and dave aubrey to talk about this week's pokemon presents Wait, it's Arceus? Yeah, that's how they pronounced it during the show, and I questioned my entire childhood. That can't be right. He has like an arc going around his like shoulders. I don't know what you you call shoulders on like a four-legged creature. But, Haunches. But shoulders. Haunches? Okay. <laughs> has like an arc. Let me ask you this. Yes. This is a philosophical question. Oh, here we go. I, I think the scholars have been debating this since the dawn of man. What's the difference between a Pokemon Direct and a Pokemon Presents? Uh, 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 uh. Wait, okay, I think I've got this. Mobile games. <laughs> oh. Really? Yeah. Could that actually be it? Think about it. Nintendo has never shown a Direct with a mobile game in. Unite definitely was in a Direct, yeah? But it was advertising the Switch version. But, this, yeah, but also, this this presents had more like details on the mobile version. Had, like, also, cafe mix games, or remix yeah. or whatever. No, it's I I think I think the Pokemon Direct for the 25th anniversary one had mobile shit as well. It had like we Super might we Masters might have to recap EX. this in the podcast. Honestly, it had a Masters EX shit. The the one back in February. I guess Pokemon. we'll just never know. I need a list of Pokemon Directs. Now we're in the Wikipedia hole. Here we fucking Let me go. S- I want to say this. We've done three episodes, yeah? And we mm-hmm. I guess we did four, because we did a we did a secret one that the public will never see. But <laughs> in four episodes now, we've done segments for Pokemon. I love that for us. We might as well Excellent. just do it every week. It can be our like you know <laughs> recurring segment. I don't yeah. know how we can do it next week, honestly. I don't know if I don't know if we'll do it five weeks in a row because what the heck are we going to talk about Pokemon next week? 
people's favorite Pokemon. <laughs> um, so the show started with uh, Unite Mobile date, which was later than I thought. I was thinking early September. For some reason, I had September 8th in my mind. I don't know why. But now it's September 22nd. Yeah? Is that right? Yeah, 22nd. Uh... Um, and they said that there's going to be a Pikachu skin and uh, you get Zorora for free, which for some reason I already have. I must have bought Zorora, so... No, the Zorora thing has been there since the start. It's if you played on Switch before the 31st of August, or if you pre-register on mobile before 31st of August. I see. Okay. So they're just giving us something we already got, or telling us you can still get it. Yeah, do and you, also it's wanna... basically... Huh? Sorry, Kian, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, all they no. did was give it one of the most broken Pokemon in the game for free, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you got, I've got the results of my research now. Okay. The, the last Pokemon Direct was actually January 9th, 2020. And that just included a Mystery Dungeon uh, Sword and Shield DLC. Then it switched over to Presents on June 17th, 2020. That's when they started introducing Pokemon Cafe Mix. The next Presents right. was Pokemon Unite. The Presents after that just... Okay, on the wiki page just says Pokemon Games, which doesn't help too much. Then so course, you're right, yeah. the director only switch and presents yeah. is it includes mobile. Yeah, I and also I think like presents is like the Pokemon company streaming this, not Nintendo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because do you know what? Even yesterday the Pokemon company, even the PR were all fucking that was arranged by TPC PR, not Nintendo. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I'm gonna say a curse. Are you ready? Shit. <laughs> Where the fuck is Blastoise? Wow. Am I wrong? I mean, obviously Blastoise is intensely broken or something, because it was in the beta, then didn't hit launch. Gardevoir launched before it, and then, you know, there's Blastoise and then that other Pokemon with the question marks who should be Clefable, but maybe isn't. But yeah, now they've announced fucking Sylveon and Mamoswine, and Blastoise is nowhere to be seen. Sylveon and Mamoswine are the next two announced for Pokemon Unite. So uh, he was in the beta, huh? He was yeah, in, the, in the beta. Blastoise was in the beta, yeah. And they Apparent, have shown uh, Clefable in game. Apparently, Blastoise was absolutely shit in the beta. Mm -hmm. yeah, which is so, why it didn't make the launch. I was I was willing to put money on that Blastoise was coming with the mobile launch. But that apparently is not the case. Uh, oh, and, and Blissey's there now as well. Yeah, and Blissey just got at it. Blissey's in, yeah? Yeah, Blissey is actually So in. Blissey was obviously the question mark Pokemon. Right, yeah. Um, as we're recording this, I guess Blissey would have come out today probably. So I haven't gotten a chance to play them, have you? Blissey came out yesterday. I haven't played yet, though. I didn't play yesterday or today. I'll probably play a bit over the weekend. But I don't know if I really want to play Blissey because I like Blissey, but the way that the support roles have been designed in that game is just completely terrible. Yeah, the game is really overbalanced for attack. Uh, the the time to kill is just like so low. Um, but I do hear that at like the super high ranks, nobody plays without an Eldegoss. It is like 
an essential pick. So maybe this will give those Eldegast players another option. I think though as well, like they need to incentivize support more because you're not going to score as many points and you're definitely not going to get as many kills. So you're never going to top or even come in the top three of your leaderboard if you're playing support properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're I not going to score as many points. Like I think. Yeah, you can go off and do that if you want, but then you're not playing in the optimal way for your team. So right. to actually score well as a support and be rewarded for it with like, you know, more more of an MMR increase afterwards. I mean, then at that point, you need to actively play support badly. If you play well, then you're just never going to get the point bonuses or never going to like get your actual score up by getting kills. So not the, not the actual score in terms of the orbs you score, but you know the little, um, it's like out of 100 on the right-hand side, the little badge you get. Yeah. The highest I've seen is like 96 or something, I think. Yeah, it's and it, it's really hard to pick those characters in just a quick play. Like I, I imagine if you're doing like a full stack or you're playing like high ranked, then it feels a lot better to play a support because you know what you're contributing. But if you're just like quick playing, if you're just like messing around, it's not nearly as fun in this game to pick a support player uh, rather than to pick, you know, a Greninja and get a million kills. <laughs> so. Um, I have like no feelings at all about Mama Swine or Sylveon, other than uh, Sylveon means no Umbreon, and that bums me out. I mean, does it necessarily mean no Umbreon? I think so, because otherwise you will have two different characters that both start as Eevee. I don't think that's too much of an issue. Because, because the, mean, oppo the opposing team won't know. I guess they'll see the character cards during the load screen, but when you're laning with an Eevee, I think that's kind of a problem if you're like, oh, there's an Eevee in my lane, but I don't know if it's the Umbreon or the Sylveon. Like, what if your team has an Umbreon and a Sylveon and you don't know who you're who you're up against? Have they confirmed that Eevee is in the game and that it's going to evolve into Sylveon, or will it, will it be like a Lucario-style thing where you just start out with Sylveon? That's possible, I guess. But the only reason Lucario doesn't start out is Riolu is because Riolu is a baby and the game has no babies. Eevee isn't a baby. True. I think there's I think there's one other Pokemon that might... No, I mean, obviously, nothing evolves into Zorora. So, yeah, maybe... Yeah, Lucario is unique in that instance then, and it is only because Riolu is a... Well, does Blissey set as Chansey? Uh, before Chansey, there's... Happening happening yeah so yeah d well i don't know i haven't played it but i i assumed it did yeah i've seen the images i've seen pictures of chancy so it doesn't start as happening it starts as chancy starts as chancy yeah i wonder why they ditched baby pokemon i know i think that's a i think that's a mistake Re really high level unite stuff brains are you enjoying this absolutely adoring it Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta i gotta admit i downloaded unite and just have not turned it on Probably because right. the best, because if you turn it on, you might not turn it off. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, traditionally, I haven't gotten along with MOBAs, so uh, nuts. I hate MOBAs, and I love Unite. Yeah. Yeah, he's I wanna right. I believe. I want to believe. <laughs> well, let's get into the Meteor stuff from the presentation, then. Because uh, after that, we got some stuff for Cafe Mix, and we got some stuff for um, Masters? No. What? Yeah, Masters EX. Yeah. Masters EX. Uh I don't pay attention to those. Um, but then uh, Diamond and Pearl remake, we got a brand new trailer and actually a lot of information. And 
there's a lot of updates there that I didn't necessarily expect there would be. Um, there's like a new wild area, uh, the underground. So yeah, it's it like the underground is obviously the feature from the original Gen Four games mm-hmm. where you get the Explorer kit and you can go down. But there's no Pokemon down there in the original Diamond and Pearl. You just go down and it was like one of those Nintendo gimmicks where it incentivizes you to use the new hardware. So obviously the DS had the touchscreen, so you use the stylus to like mine the walls and you got like all these treasures that you could sell down in the underground and then use that money to use to purchase unique rewards, essentially. It was a different currency. Whereas, I mean, we already knew that they were bringing the underground back. But the difference now is they're called hideaways and they kind of look like mystery dungeon style biomes in that one of them was like a real sort of like toxic green forest. There was like a sort of like volcanic area as well. And I'm not really sure how they're going to justify why they have so many radically different biomes all underground, but it's pretty cool because... The thing about the underground was that, like all Pokemon gimmicks, some people liked it, but most people just didn't really give a shit. Whereas now, there is actually a reason to go down there, and I think it's... They're going to obviously keep... um, Pre-Elite 4 is going to be mostly Gen 4 Pokemon. They're going to be from Sinnoh. Mm -hmm. But then, these hideaways seem to be where they've put in loads of the Gen 2s, Gen 3s, Gen 5s. That seems to be where you will be able to catch Pokemon from different generations yeah and it's based on like the statues that you find or buy and put into your hideout and then those are the those affect which pokemon spawn down there i think that's really cool it kind of adds a layer of um like first you get the statue and you're like okay now i have access to this pokemon i want and then you go find it in the hideaway i think that's a really cool way to to um kind of extend the catching them all process yeah especially because the secret bases were what introduced in gen 3 so one before diamond and pearl was ruby Mm. and sapphire but maybe the first playthrough you did as a kid it was fun to get a base and decorate it and stuff but aside from that the only thing that ever really incentivized you to have a base was if you use the wireless adapter or link cables with your friend it would create a local copy of your friend in your secret base and you could battle them once a day even if you weren't didn't go to meet them in real life whereas that was pretty much the only reason you had to have a base was so that you could battle other people locally yeah and then like you know you could text your friend and be like haha fuck you i bet you um (laughs) but then this is a new way to actually incentivize what was quite a cool idea back then because it's based on those statues you have a reason to build yourself a base, but not only build it, like to actively visit it and work towards redecorating it over and over again. Yeah, they didn't talk about uh, any multiplayer stuff, but I really hope that you can visit other people's bases and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I do know for a fact that it's not going to have ranked matches and neither is Legends Arceus. And I'm not saying Arceus, it's Arceus. Arceus now, yeah. I will never say Arceus. You can't say that, that's a swear. I will never say Arceus ever. I can't say ass on the podcast. Everyone I know has been saying Arceus <laughs> the whole time. Um, uh, I'm sorry, on the secret base thing, I had to look this up because as Kim was talking about it, I just thought to myself, whoa, secret bases would have been perfect for 3DS Street Pass, right? 
And then I had to actually Google it, and it turns out they did that in Omega, you know, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. So there you go. That was there pretty good. <laughs> Bring Street Pass back. I know, right? Jeez. Uh, and then we have Big Fashion. People are going to love that. You got all kinds of outfits to put on. Brains, outfits. I do like looking pretty, it's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. Uh, whenever I play Pokemon, I have a female avatar. Don't ask me. Don't ask questions. Uh-huh. It's fine. Uh-huh. And uh, she's always super cute. I'm excited to make her cuter than ever. You know how it is. This is how we do. So that's cool. <laughs> any other <laughs> any other thoughts on um, Diamond and Pearl? I assume you're both going to play it? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to play it. But I just think um, Gen 4 is already a pretty interesting one. But it's also, I think the time it came out, like you need to consider that it was what? Like 97 when Red and Blue launched in the West? So by the time Diamond and Pearl came out, a lot of people who played that at like, you know, between five and 10 years old, that was the time when they were sort of entering the, you know, I'm going to secondary school or high school in, in the States and I'm too cool for Pokemon and I'm not going to play it anymore. And yeah. then like, you know, that happened for me with Black and White. And then I missed Black and White, Black and White 2, X and Y, Sun and Moon. No, I came back for Ultra Sun and Ultra, Ultra Moon. I came back after thinking I was too cool for Pokemon, then realized actually, you know, I love Pokemon. I'm not cool I, at all. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think I think that happens to like a lot of people. It was the same, exactly the same for me. Yeah, and I think a lot of people either Diamond and Pearl was sort of an intro for a lot of people. My brother's age; he's like five and a half years younger than me, mm. but also the last mainline game a lot of people, you know, between maybe twenty five and thirty played. Right. So I think that it's a really, really interesting one kind of coming out, what, 12 years maybe after Pokemon became like a global phenomenon. So I think it's probably if you were to re-examine a generation, Gen 4 is probably the ideal one to do it. I yeah. feel like that's a lot of good points. Uh, you know what, Kian? I was so prepared to disagree with you. But after that, I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like I can. I was, I was thinking about it, and I was like, I was, I was never too cool for Pokemon. I've always been a loser. And then I remembered that I actually did never. I've never finished Black or White, so I was like, okay, maybe he's right. Diamond and Pearl is like the last, last point where I was super active with that, you know. And uh, I, I definitely, I definitely played hundreds of hours of Diamond and Pearl. I don't remember any of it. I don't yeah. remember any of it. All of my memories from a life where I had hair, long gone. You know, they felt, they they went they left me with the hair, and uh, I'm I'm excited to sort of relive that potentially get some nostalgia I didn't even realize I was missing out on. Uh, I do think the games look adorable. The art style's great. Um, it's just I love this uh, like a chibi top down style. They're going with a few Nintendo games now. I think this is a really good revitalization of how that game looked. I'm excited. I'm nervous because uh, you know. Like I said, I, I spent hundreds of hours of it. I also don't remember anything. So is that a bad thing? Who knows? But yeah, this this has got me more excited than usual for Pokemon games. I'm I think, less excited about Arceus Legends. I think that with um, with Diamond and Pearl, 
I I replayed a bit of Platinum recently. I was doing this thing called a drunk lock with a lad I know. So mm-hmm. we were streaming the two of us like every Sunday, just like drinking like six or seven cans and trying to nuzlock this game for two hours. And, you know, it got to the point where I think we got to like four gyms and then we gave up. But yep. those first four gyms in Platinum, like, you know, that first, like, you know, maybe 35, 40% of the game was very, very good and held up well. Because I also forgot every. I thought that was a completely different game. I had like the wrong gym leaders in my head and everything. And then when I got to like, you know, the second gym of Platinum, I was like, oh my God, I've completely misremembered this entire generation. Mm. But it's really good. I think yeah. that's why I feel so weird about Diamond and Pearl 2, is because I don't remember any of it. And it, it was the last one I was really into as a kid, too. But mm-hmm. all my like nostalgia and like deep memories of Pokemon seem to be from the first three gens. So I don't know if that's because Diamond and Pearl is forgettable, but I'm excited now to go see what it's all about and try to try to dig up those memories, I guess. Reevaluate Absolutely. it, you know? Yeah, one thing that does make me nervous is that in retrospect, I wonder how much of the love and time I put into uh, Diamond and Pearl was because of the fact that it was the first Pokemon game with like any kind of online functionality, mm-hmm. ex- excluding Crystal in Japan. And it was the first DS game. Yeah. The first DS Pokemon. I, I, for me, when I remember getting it, and I remember thinking being able to trade Pokemon with anyone anywhere in the world without a cable was like the biggest, biggest deal. Just a huge, huge thing. And I think that is part of the reason why I put so much time into it. And now that that is not a big deal, uh, I'm hoping that the memories of that being so huge isn't going to overshadow the rest of the game. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I When I think about uh, Diamond and Pearl, all I remember is the fashion contest and getting the cute mm. rewards. It's like, that's the only part of that game I remember. I'm actually um, pretty excited for that, unironically. I want to I want to go back because we forgot to talk about Go, because oh, yeah. the uh, the next Ultra Unlock event is going to have a bunch of Sword and Shield, uh, for the first time like Phalanx, uh, Woolit, Wo- is that what it? Kian Woolit, am I saying that right? Wulu, Wulu, yeah, and then is the, Wulu in Go? It's about to be next week, and then Damn. the the five star raids is going to be Zessian and Zamzenta. Uh, and that's cool, and we're finally gonna have a badge for uh, Galar. Um, and but it is kind of astonishing that that game came out two years ago, and now we're what? getting a Wulu and Go, right? Sword oh, Shield is yeah. two years old now, isn't it? Uh, for a second there, I thought you meant Pokemon Go. I was like, wait a minute. I thought I thought the pandemic had read really a number on me then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah. That's it's 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 a uh, it's good to see though. Like, is uh, isn't Go still missing like the some of the moon generation? Yeah. They're really yeah. drawing it out. So they're just uh skipping ahead, huh? I mean, to be fair, I, I would understand why they wouldn't want to introduce all of the Pokemon immediately. And to be honest, I can't complete my Poke- Pokedex as it is. I I'm I've I've just opened Pokemon Go. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm looking at my Pokedex like something <laughs> this just this is despair. This is terrible. I need more. I, I personally just think the Gen 8 stuff is, is really weird, right? Because it's it's just proximity, isn't it? It's because it's only two years ago. Like, Gen 8 is pretty well represented in Snap. It's pretty well represented in Unite. 
And, you know, now it's coming to go before any Gen 7 Pokemon. And I think it's just because of the, like, you know, we've got the Switch now that facilitates stuff like Snap and Sword and Shield and uh, Unite, which are, like, you know, games that might not have necessarily existed before, not at, at least not in this form. I know Snap is obviously sort of a reboot. But, you know, if it was... Gen 8 is really lackluster, and it's just very strange to see it get so much love just because it's recent. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you could justify those Pokemon being in these games otherwise. Mm-hmm. Especially, Gen 7 has a lot of cool Pokemon. Like, Mimikyu is one of the most, like, you know, iconic Pokemon on the planet now. Yeah. Like, it, it sells more merch than the vast majority of Gen 1ers. And it's like, that is that was not in Snap. It, well, I mean, you wouldn't really make a case for it in Unite. And, you know, you have, like, Gen 8 Pokemon come to go before it. It just seems really strange to me. And I think that just because it's a recent game doesn't necessarily mean that it deserves, you know, better treatment than previous ones. I, I'm just surprised at how long it takes to get new Pokemon in to go. I mean, I know that's like big content for for the game, but there, I think that there's got to be other ways to like do events and stuff without trickling out new Pokemon this slow. Um, I think as well, though, because they're going to run out soon, aren't they? I get. I mean, how many Galar Pokemon are there? Ooh, not a lot. Less than a hundred. Okay. Well, I mean, they've added two, and they're about to add six more. So at this rate, they've got many years left. <laughs> and and you mentioned before Gen Seven, and I guess you're right. I thought there there's at least some a low there's like a lowland executor and and uh, nine tails, right? But I don't know if there are other Alolans in Go yet. Um, there's like uh, Alolan Geodude and Diglett. I think I think we've got all the Alolan forms of uh, Pokemon that were already in the game before. You know? Right. Okay. But even regionals are different to like you know yeah. new Pokemon introduced as indigenous Pokemon to a region. Mm-hmm. In terms of mm-hmm. like you know, like Mimikyu is one, but like you know none of the like the Tapus or anything like that. Like mm. I don't. I don't necessarily really like the Gen 7 starters all that much, but it's it's weird that even they haven't been added. Right. Yeah. Phalanx is a five-star Pokemon, though. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's... He's laughing because he doesn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's weird how they've been rolling them out. I think, you know, like Kian said, no Gen 7 starters is definitely a weird one over Wulu. Uh, I gotta say, you know, as a throwback, I really liked how they introduced Meltan into Pokemon Go uh, around when Let's Go launched. That was kind of cool. Meltan's but... introduction in general is one of the coolest things they've done in years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it was, it was really interesting. It had the, it had the fans hyped up almost as much as when Pika Blue was a thing. <laughs> Please tell me that wasn't just a thing in my playground, you know? No, we um, have no Pika Blue. Yeah, and uh. Yeah, I was going to say something else, and I've totally lost it, so cut me off. All right, let's talk about Arx- Arce- Arceus. Yes? Arceus? Oh, no. I, my whole life I've said Arceus. I'm going to continue to say Arceus. say that. It's a swear. 
<laughs> you can't have kids saying Arceus in Britain. It's not allowed. Arceus. Okay. Um. So new trailer for Pokemon Legends Arceus. This is our our next, our first open world Pokemon game that's coming out early next year. Uh, I and maybe I'm naive, but the one thing that really surprised me was that it's gonna have new Pokemon in it and regional Pokemon. I kind of didn't mm. expect it to. I didn't either, because it kind of implies extinction, doesn't it? Because this is set right. a long time before. <laughs> and Weird Ear, I remember Stacy said, oh, look, Stanton Revolution. I was like, no, nah, surely it's a regional. Like, how could they have a Stanton Revolution that doesn't exist anymore a thousand years later? But yeah. it's a Stanton Revolution. And, you know, Stanton was introduced in Gen 2, and Gold and Silver Stanton certainly does not evolve. So, yeah. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> um, the <laughs> The other thing that really surprised me was that um so so this takes place in the Sinnoh region same as gen 4 except that uh it is uh in a distant past when the Sinnoh region was called the hisui region despite it geographically being identical to the Sinnoh region and i expected it to be maybe like a feudal area like instead of towns we would have like villages or camps and it would be much older than it actually is because when we finally saw what civilization looks like in this game, I was pretty surprised that there was like modern masonry and like like the research leader had like papers all over her desk and her office looked like a modern government building. Mm. Like how long ago was it? Like how long is the Pokemon timeline? I would love to see it. I would love to see it. <laughs> I was pretty surprised at the way um, at the way the world looks because I thought it was going to be I don't know maybe I just had like Breath of the Wild in my head. I'm wondering if this game is looking so detailed and potentially modern in this one area because there won't be many towns, cities, villages to visit. Um, from what we've seen of like the open world gameplay, it's more like. Almost has survival elements, depending on like how much energy you've got to go out and fight Pokemon and catch them and such. It's a very different approach, so I wonder how far they're going to differ from like the traditional Pokemon loop that we're we're aware of so far. And if that's the case, you know, we could have we could be seeing like maybe a primary hub world instead of like a town you just pass through. And it could be that there's not many others at all. But also, I mean, one of the weird things is this is set a very long time ago, but technology doesn't really seem to be that far behind. They have Pokeballs, they have the Pokedex. Like, all of the core technological staples of contemporary Pokemon exist in Legends Arceus in pretty much unchanged forms. Mm -hmm. It's almost as though as soon as we started uh, befriending the Pokemon, progress stopped. <laughs> and society sort of just ground to a halt for for perhaps hundreds of years. Yeah, because it's weird as well, because I think in Gen 1, like, Oak says something about, like, creating the Pokedex, and this is a thousand years before, and, like, the, the announcer the, in the trailer was like, oh, complete your Pokedex, and it showed, like, Pokedex entries and stuff, so like, I, I don't really... It's yeah. a bit of a weird one. I don't, I don't, is it some kind of, like, you know civilization that was as a, like a horizon zero dawn style like you know mm. super advanced civilization that collapsed into nothing and then a thousand years later we're only where they are now i highly doubt that but it's weird that a thousand years before they have the same tech 
to make it even more yeah. complicated, Pokemon Conquest is feudal era. And they <laughs> were capturing and befriending Pokemon. But Legends is supposed to be before when humans and Pokemon live separately. Oh no. So we have now... like a modern era, then a feudal oh, era, and then back oh, to a gosh. modern era. It's happening. Yeah. We, yeah, we're gonna have to ask we're gonna have to ask whether or not it's canon. <laughs> is Arceus Legends canon? Legends Arceus? Wait, yeah, Legends are is it canon? Uh probably not. I don't know. You say no? I, I assumed it was. I, I honestly have no idea. Even just like just because you said the name there, I don't understand why they're making a game about Arceus. Yeah. Arceus I, is supposed to be the god of Pokemon. About Arceus. Arceus is fucking shit. It is, <laughs> it's supposed to be the god of Pokemon, and it's probably one of the worst Pokemon ever designed. And now it's getting an entire game devoted to it. And it's the last boss in New Snap. Did it Did it have a movie? Oh, no, no, that's uh, that's Xerneas. In oh, Xerneas, you're Snap. right. Who is uh, also in- incredibly overrated. Xerneas has cool antlers, and everything else about it is shit. You can't Speaking say of... that. These Pokemon have feelings. I mean, um, I mean, this is you know, There's there's nine hundred of them now. I can I can offend a few of their feelings. I can't believe they're... Kian's negging Pokemon on the podcast. Like this is this is where it's come to. You know, <laughs> you should hear what he says. Episode about three of the Gamer Podcast. <laughs> Kian Listen, hates I, all Pokemon. I right? don't I don't often complain about Pokemon, but. I've had a long day, and Arceus is shite. So I would not date Blissey. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had a long day. This is gonna be a weird segment. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, oh my god. So there's new. There's a a new combat system, which I I think is probably the most interesting thing to me about Legends Arceus. Kim, what do you think about that? I really appreciate it because it's you know. Pokemon hasn't had a new combat system since 2002, so as well as like Arceus shaking up a, a lot of the formula, that's, even though it's not ostensibly the biggest change, I mean, like, you know, the aesthetic probably is, and the sort of uh, completely open world traversal where you were literally like rolling through tall grass to hide, all that stuff, like, you know, at surface level looks like a complete reinvention of Pokemon. But the battle code has been the same since Ruby and Sapphire. So introducing a change this big where you've got two different kinds of moves is much bigger than anything else this game is doing. And I think it sounds pretty cool. Um, When I heard that it wasn't going to be ranked, I was nearly disappointed because I think it introduces a whole new layer of strategy where especially because high-level Pokemon is often largely revolves around guesswork where you need to predict what your opponent is going to do but also predict what they are predicting so it's right. like it's My like games. chess except there there are just so many possibilities that they might you know you expect them to switch out but they stay in because they expect you to switch out and it's either a stalemate or one of you is lose and it's it's brilliant but introducing something like this like the strong style and the agile style where you have to either chance it and wait to hit hard or maybe get two or three moves and they don't even i think what a lot of people i saw people on twitter talking about this i think what a lot of people didn't pick up it's it's not just using like surf three times in a row you could use like 
toxic recover protect or something like that you know you could chain different moves together for certain strategies i, I think it's brilliant yeah it looks cool and uh it's a lot more active which i think it needs to be for an open world game uh like this i think it'd be pretty weird if we just jumped into turn-based combat as we're like running around the open world um i i haven't heard a lot of people complaining about the combat but i have heard a lot of people complaining about the graphics which is such a boring conversation but um let's have that conversation on our podcast right now i don't really give a shit the game's not out yet <laughs> yeah i mean sure if, if, if it looks like dog shit when it comes out in january then yeah i'll probably be disappointed that i spent 60 euro on something that doesn't really look like what i would expect a modern pokemon game to look like but right now all we're seeing is just like a lot of that isn't even gameplay it's just cg stuff to show off that the game exists and some features i don't know and also like breath of the wild has a gorgeous art style it's the art direction is excellent but it's not exactly the best performer either mm -hmm. i don't think a lot of games look particularly good on switch no yeah you're right that's just the limitation of the hardware i don't i'm not too sure what anyone expected I think it's kind of weird to call, to say it looks like a PS2 game. I saw the Game Grumps complaining about how it looks like a launch PS2 title. Thought that was that weird. is that is absurd. <laughs> maybe maybe they said PS3. Maybe I'm not being generous, but uh, Dave, where are you at with uh, Legends Arceus? Well, mm -hmm. I'm excited for it personally. I, really? I think I think. I I I'm really interested in games that shake up the Pokemon formula. Like we mentioned Conquest earlier and I adored that. But this is one of the first games that Game Freak are doing which mixes up the formula. You could probably say Let's Go was another one, but uh I feel like this is a more substantial step away from how Pokemon games usually go. And I'm excited to see how it shakes out. I do have performance concerns. You have um, performance anxiety. I have performance anxiety, yes. Uh, you know, sometimes you just jump into things and before you know it, you're going at 15 frames per second and chugging. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, like, I, 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 think, I think that can really affect your experience of a game like this. Um, and you, the way Nintendo have personally optimized their games recently has been to, like, have a variable V-Sync, which means if it can't hit 30 frames, it goes all the way down to 20. And that's why Breath of the Wild, when it, when it dropped, it dropped real bad, and it was instantly noticeable. Yeah. If they if they just let you like drop it to twenty eight, most people would have never seen. You know. Uh. So I, I I fear for Arceus Legends Legends Arceus yeah Legends Arceus I fear for it. Um. But for the most part, I have faith that a game designed and optimized for Nintendo Switch will will run all right can't say flawlessly but you know all right uh but game freak track record with this stuff going back to like the 3ds hasn't been perfect because uh, you know even the early 3ds pokemon games in the battles the frame rate would tank and if you had the 3d on oh no so even going back to then there's kind of been uh mild concerns and it feels like you know, 3DS battles weren't exactly the most detailed. They just had the character models sort of stand there. So, yeah, yeah and I'm I... hoping things have progressed since then. But uh, we'll we'll see. The the, the wild area doesn't exactly give me hope. But there you go. 
I, I do think it's worth saying that I think the Venn diagram between people who care a whole lot about performance and people who care about Pokemon, I think the center of that is pretty small. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone who enjoys Pokemon, like, as you said, Game Freak doesn't have the best track record already. And mm. I think the majority of people who play each and every one of these games aren't going to turn away for something just because it doesn't look like fucking Doom Eternal. Absolutely. Uh, to be fair, to, 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 to clarify, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in the Venn diagram. I'm dead there in the center. But I got to recognize <laughs> that the majority of people are not. You know, this is like when people are talking about boycotting Sword and Shield, you know, like how many units did that game sell? In reality, concerns like this rarely amount to something to actually write home about at the end of the day, you know? Um, I would like the game to perform and run and look super, super great. But yeah, most people aren't really going to notice or care. They're going to see their favorite Pokemon. They're going to do some new gameplay stuff and that's going to be fine. There, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, as much as I'd like a Switch Pro, no one else would have to buy one, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. The bar's pretty low and they're just going to barely clear it and it's not going to matter at all. Yeah. Um, personally, I... Obviously, I'm looking forward to the game. I wasn't particularly moved by the images of the uh, the wild Pokemon just sort of pathing back and forth in the area. Like, they don't look like they're living in these areas. They look like they were just put there. That stuff didn't really impress me. But riding around on the mounts, flying around on the bird and stuff like that, that stuff is really cool to me. That's, that's something I'm really interested in. Yeah, I wonder because... Yeah, they definitely did look like they've been scripted to have, like, you know, a certain tether where, like, you know, Shinx moves four steps up, two steps left, and then comes back in that L yep. shape. And just that's, kind of that's what it looked like to me, too, yeah. But I don't know, because when, when you've got, like, I suppose if you catch that Shinx, right, or if that Shinx faints and you move away, I suppose repopulating them without concrete scripting is probably pretty hard like you know sort of that you don't take one one away and it obviously has to respawn so that there's enough there but yeah i don't know it, it'd be weird you'd think that they'd be able to give them a sort of parameter that they can roam around freely in, as in you know route four shinx is there and can kind of just move around arbitrarily like you know in random directions but I wonder what problems that would present them when it comes to actually encountering it. I hate to invoke this name, but Ark figured this out a long time ago. <gasps> and all of the dinos in Ark have different aggression levels, different behaviors, and none of them are tethered in spot. And you can kill any of them or capture any of them and new ones will spawn. And it all is very natural feeling for the player. So I don't know. And Ark runs on a phone. <laughs> not not well, but it does. Runs about as well as Arceus Legends. Or Legends <laughs> and Arceus, whatever way around it is. Um, man, Pokemon fans are uh, feasting. I think that this 35th anniversary really feels like a moment. Like We kind of have been really let down by Nintendo anniversaries recently. I mean, there's like three this year and you wouldn't even know, you know, mm -hmm. there's like a Zelda anniversary and a Metroid anniversary 
we did Mario and I think that nothing there was nothing remarkable about it at all. But this mm-hmm. but this this year for Pokemon it feels like a pretty big year. I think Nintendo recognizes like Pokemon is the highest grossing entertainment product in the world outside of games. So I mean, you'd think Mario is obviously Nintendo's main flagship. But even also like you I think it's the fact that the Pokemon company is also involved. It's not just Nintendo. Mm-hmm. The Pokemon company is much more interested in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything except for the Gen 4 remakes and Legends Arceus is more so Pokemon company. Yeah. Or at least, like, you know, they, they have a major stake in it. So I think that's probably why. Like, if there was another, like, you know, sort of self-governing body attached to Mario or Zelda, I'm sure we probably would have got more or there would have been a push for more. But yeah. but that's I don't mind point. because Pokemon's my favorite of them all anyway, so I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and I agree with that. I feel like in recent years, uh, the Pokemon company has like asserted some sort of dominance with the with the brand, and we're seeing it branch out so much more. I mean, you know, Pokemon was always the first Nintendo adjacent franchise to get like a mobile game or or a PC trading card game or whatever. Uh, things basically not on solely Nintendo systems, and. Yeah, these days they seem so much more confident with that, probably emboldened by experiences with things like Pokemon Go, you know? And uh, it's like it's like the new stories that came out when Pokemon Go launched. Uh, we saw Nintendo's share price go up, and then they had to make an announcement that they weren't actually profiting all that much from it, because it's mainly mm-hmm. Niantic and the Pokemon Company, which are different entities, and seems like most people don't even realize that still. Uh, but yeah, I feel like they're, they're doing a lot more with the brand uh, outside of like Nintendo systems and they also seem confident about making more big and interesting games. It does make me nervous about where they'll go in the future with uh, stuff like this Legends sub-series, assuming it is to be that. This newfangled Legends. Yep, newfangled. But I I, I have hopes. High ones. I just, as long as this game's good, I'll be be on them for the ride for the rest of them. But otherwise, they've been doing well lately. New Pokemon Snap was great. Do you want to know what? Now that Dave pointed out that the pivot from uh, direct to presents was to be more inclusive of Pokemon brands, I think presents should also talk about the new Pokemon card sets. Hmm. Why don't they? I mean, yeah, why not? Why not? We've got a big set that comes up next week that could have been part of this presentation, and then the big 25th anniversary, or 35th anniversary, 35th anniversary how old am i uh (laughs) celebrations set they're gonna be releasing all these reprints of the most classic the most famous pokemon cards i think that's gonna be huge that should definitely be part of uh these presentations going forward i need to sell Uh, my cards i need to get rich sell them to me (laughs) i saw as well on cerebi and they have a this like limited edition Arceus card that is Japan exclusive for pre-order in Legends. Yeah. And it looks incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just such a stylish card. Like. Yeah, they're knocking it out of the park. This this whole year, the whole Sword and Shield generation that started last year is just like every set's better than the one before it. It's 
blown my mind. Special podcast episode where we evaluate the worth of my collection. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're listening to this show on the day it came out, Friday, then I am also streaming a big Pokemon card opening uh, of Evolving Skies, which comes out the same day on the Gamers Facebook page. Uh, so if you're listening to this, head over to the Gamers Facebook page, and I'm either live or you can check out the VOD because I'm streaming right now. Other than that, <laughs> fellas, uh, good chat, good presentation. And yeah, I guess thanks, so. Thanks for... <laughs> Wait, to the first thing or the second thing? I guess both, you know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> any last thoughts on any of the Pokemon games? What's what's the name of Zigzagoon's Galarian evolution? Obstagoon. That got added to Pokemon Go a while ago. I forgot to mention that earlier. Yes. <laughs> he, he's right. That's it. That's all I got. Thank you. <laughs> uh, unionize. There we go. Okay, that is our show for the week. Thank you all so much for listening. Next week is going to be massive. We've got uh, George's review of Psychonauts 2. We've got uh, Aliens Fireteam Elite. We've got Gamescom. We've got uh, our Destiny reveal for the next expansion. So we've got a ton of stuff to talk about next week. Probably a lot of stuff I haven't mentioned. Um, so we'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>